This is not a winning court without a liar. It is July 18th, hot summer day, and uh, today we are discussing. Oh, give me one second here. We are going to be discussing how uh, whether or not you have a legal situation that would be right for declaratory judgment, and. Uh, to see if uh, declaratory judgment action might be turning tides in your favor concerning your immediate legal problems. What we're going to do is we're going to go over, um, we're going to take actual uh, legal issues that are being uh, dealt with right now, uh, not hypothetical, uh, for starters, and uh, depending on how many people we have attending the call and uh, we may take some uh, hypothetical ones as well. So, on that note, I am going to bring Mario back in. And uh, Mario, do you want to discuss a little bit about your situation? Okay. Um, my mother um, had um, had some difficulties uh, one year um, paying some taxes. Uh, I guess. In Texas, I'm property tax problem abnormal, so um, I had an issue with that, and she went to a um, some predatory, uh, I guess, um, a lender, where um, they um, paid the the taxes per se, but she signed everything over to them, and for them to do that. And okay. then she, um, they, uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I'll finish, finish uh, my no, question. Um, okay, um, and then she, um, had some issues with um, retirement. Like she's, um, 66 now. Oh, nice. She had some issues with her retirement and she had had a, um, um, surgery and whatnot, and she had gotten... Um, behind, I, I guess I'm giving these people their alleged payments, and so she just um, stopped. And then they told her that to um, make things, I don't know exactly what they told her, but they had her sign over the property to another um, uh, individual, a friend, and start another um, alleged loan with this gentleman. She's still in and the house? Now, uh, second, sir. Is, she, is she still in the house? Uh, yes. Uh, yes, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, litigation. litigation right now. I mean, because, I mean, after it uh, went into default, for, for whatever um, reason, I mean, I was um, not in the area. I was out of. Uh, I'd been out of town for um, several years. My mother kept in contact, but she was. She wouldn't let me know her financial situation. It made her feel some type of uh, insecure. You don't want to let your children know what everything of what's going on, and whatnot. But either way, I just found that out this out two years ago. And now it's so you've been letting. Yes, yes. I was doing it um, myself until it got to the actual um, court date, and then the um, administrator, the um, judge, said that I was practicing law, 
and then um, gave a default judgment and then um, said if they brought the bar member back that he would grant another trial. Uh, so, I mean, I went and got a bar member just for, I mean, that's an expensive way to get another trial, yeah. And that's what one's waiting for right now. So they're saying and that the you have to have a uh, case for your mother? Yes. That's, I mean, I was not. So you were I helping mean, her with the case? You were helping yes. her with the case? They yes. threw it out unless you come back with a well, lawyer? Um, well, okay, I, I, let me tell you, I'll tell you everything. But during the court date, I did not, um, I thought that since it was just going to be um, me handling since they had the paperwork and, and whatnot and had some other um, conversations with people, that it would not be an issue for them not to be there, for her not to be there, or the, the gentleman that she signed his property over to. But since they were not there, then he, he said that um, I was there practicing um, law and they just need to sit down and, I could stay or I could leave. So I just I stayed and watched the little dig. And as I was leaving after that, he he said it. Um, you get a bar tax a bar member, I'll grant you a new crop. I did that and waiting on um, this new trial. But um, the um, alleged finance company or, or servicer service provider is trying to get us to or to recontract per se and right. right now i'm waiting on them to send that because i mean there's no money so i'm discharged debt even though i'm ghost i'm waiting on someone to send them a final statement because i guess with the, with the i mean the yes the house is foreclosure yes okay uh, Daniel, are you there? Yeah, but I can only hear about every couple words. I, it was really a bad signal, um, the fellow okay. was speaking. Yeah. I'm not sure. Was, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate a little bit. Basically, the, the house is in foreclosure. Uh, they are ping-ponging service providers around. Um, you know, they keep changing the supposed owner of, owner of the note. You know, they keep selling it, playing that game. He was trying to help her. Uh, they gave them a default judgment and uh, said that they let him open it back up if he brought in a, a bar attorney. And this is, he was acting on behalf of his mom. Did you have a power of attorney to act on her behalf, or you just go in there and just assumed it? Well, I didn't per se um, have a document that said power of attorney, but I mean, from the very beginning, when I was um, doing paperwork um, back and forth with them, I had to have her um, um, initiate a document that said that I could act on her behalf. So I don't know if that would be power of attorney or not. It didn't necessarily say power of attorney, but there was documentation that I was acting on her behalf. That's a power of attorney. In its simplest form, that is a power of attorney. I mean, I mean, um, they said they, like, yeah. 
Um, I mean, I turned, um, I know you, you guys know the process that the, um, the servicing company, they, they made their little, um, document where they made their statements for yada, yada, yada. And I had to turn back in a, um, answer to that, or it was, it was a no go from shell. So I had to file the documents to answer for that. And then, um, well, first is a, a claim first, the adverse claim and you know, being in possession per se. I mean, so, I mean, I, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. So when you Do went I? to court, did they, when you went to court, mm-hmm. they said that you were trying, you were acting as an attorney? Uh, yes, that um, executive administrative clerk said that I was, he deemed that I was practicing law. Practicing law? Yeah. Was your mother paying No. Mm-hmm. Well, then you're not practicing anything in commerce. I, I, I agree exactly. I mean, I, I just cannot be disrespectful in um, their uh, temple. But you, you, you're exactly right. That was, that was yeah. and You could also, you know, you have an interest. You're her heir. So you do have an interest. Ultimately, you're the beneficiary of whatever you know, she has when she passes up. So, you do have an interest. Daniel, what do you think about uh, the situation as far as declaratory judgment is concerned? Well, I want to bring you back to declaratory judgment. There's a couple of things that you've said right off the bat. Number one, the um, if you're... Um, if your rights are being affected by statutes, you have a right to a declaratory judgment act so you can determine your rights, your status, and your legal relations. As David said, does the heir, uh, by nature of blood, just sanguinous, have a right to speak for his mother who has an assignment of, of, that is, in effect, the power of attorney? There's one, there's one issue right to declaratory judgment. I always like to say don't ask a question unless you already know the answer. And then yeah, you're not, you, you know what your declaratory decree is, is supposed to be. You know, as far as the uh, foreclosure is concerned, I mean, did she have a contract and she's in breach of it? Did they, um, did they pull a fast one? I mean, what's your position on the foreclosure besides the fact that it was predicated upon fraud from the inception. Besides that, um, she uh, went in um, breach. She um, had an illness and wasn't able to make um, a couple of payments, and whatnot. And then she, um, this is what she explained to me that she tried to talk to someone, and they, they were um, being very, um, I guess, rude to her. And my mother, she's a very uh, emotional woman, and. I mean, the head. So I mean, when when she's in that stage, it's out of there pretty much. So it's she just kept it to herself for um, hell, a year and a half, almost two years. So I found out. I mean, and this is um, I really don't um care about arguing with these people. I just want a bill. I just want them to give. give someone a bill so that this can be taken care of, but they won't, um, the service company won't uh, give uh, a bill. 
Oh. I'm waiting on one now. What are you gonna, they're supposed to give, like, I mean, every, every one year, I mean, once a year, you're supposed to get um, a um, final statement. I mean, I think that's what it's called. Like, yeah, statement of account. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. They're supposed to give you that so you can take care of everything at once if you want, if one wanted to. And I'm, I'm waiting for that. Well, you have a right to true bill, that is for sure. She has a right to a true bill, I should say. Yeah, and you acting on her behalf. That, well, that's something that you have a right to. You can have that right declared. Correct, okay. Daniel? Yeah. Oh. A- absolutely. That, oh, okay, okay. See, when you bring this declaratory judgment action... You're having your rights, your capacity, your legal relationships, your, you know, your status um, yeah. declared, okay, by decree. Um, when you, you ask these questions of them, <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, again, like Daniel said, already knowing what the answers are. So when you go and, and you, these are, these are questions that would be ripe for declaratory judgment. So that your rights, status, capacity, and uh, legal re- relationships can be explained, decreed, and and uh, that you can get uh, basically who the parties are, what the status of the parties are. This way, they don't keep jumping from servicer to servicer. Who's and, the um, note holder? Who's the due course of a debt? <laughs> a I didn't really know how um, um, tricky these people are. I guess how business-wise or devious these people are because the um, holding company actually um, changed um, its name, or per se, but it changed its name. It didn't change its name. It just changed the, um, the appellation, though, the way it's written, and then they label that as a, as a name change. Come I mean, I'm going to all these people. Yeah, all saw them of them up. Well, Daniel, what do you think here? Well, I'm having, still having a hard time hearing him, but I, I'm getting the idea that the plaintiff keeps changing their their uh, their name. Yeah. Is that what I? Well, um, yeah. have you, uh, let's start with this. Are they bringing the action in state court? Yes. Correct. Yes. Okay. Did, did the company that's bringing the action, are they registered to do business in that state? Are they registered with the Secretary of State to do business in the state that they're doing business? That's good. I, I cannot say I know that for sure. I, I, well, that's, that's, that's something that's, 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 What happened? Go ahead. No, I mean the the company that's doing business in the state is. Uh, do they have that they have uh, um, rights to do business? Are they registered with the state to do business? You know, so um, that's a, a a very important question. And so you can check with the secretary of state and get a certificate of no person if uh, they're not registered. So what are they doing using the courts of the state? 
uh, if they're if they're not ready to do business in that state. Okay. Yeah. So think about that a little bit, you know. And if it's okay. a uh, if it's a if it's a bank, then they oftentimes will have a registered agent for service of process, just uh, just registered, just you, just so they can have a registered agent. But they would still have they would still have to be registered to do business. Okay. That's my take on it. So, absent a, uh, you know, absent that, if they don't have, they're not registered, so they're a fictitious entity using the courts of the, the state, and they don't have access to use the state courts. So that's, okay. a, that's a potential. potential Excuse me, hi, it's Catherine. Hello. Sorry, I just came on. It's all right. Didn't mean to. Didn't mean to interrupt. And so once you've got these, um, this evidence of, uh, if you've got a, a pile of, uh, of uh, a fraud or, or evidence that, that uh, they, they've denied you due process, which is a notice or opportunity, and, uh, and, they, and they, for, they, they, um, they barred you from bringing a remedy, these things are right for declaratory judgment and decree. So just, just for an explanation, so there's new people on the show here, just for explanation, um, a, declaratory, a declaratory judgment, that's, a, that's really loud, um, a declaratory judgment and, uh, and decree is like going, it's not going to the battle. It's not going to, uh, um, into the ring. So think of a gladiator ring where the judges are on top and you've got to go down and all the people are watching on the top, but you've got to go down in the ring and fight. Well, that's, that's a normal court case. It's an adversarial proceeding. A declaratory judgment and decree, if you read the Declaratory Judgment Act, the Uniform Declaratory Judgment Act, or the Federal Declaratory Judgment Act, and you read them and you read, um, if, you, if you read up about the purpose and the scope and the intent, it was to avoid litigation, costly and time-consuming litiga- litigation, you can have your rights, your status, and your legal relationships declared, whether you're an, uh, an heir interested in a will or other contractor writing, whether you're an executor, administrator, um, legatee, you know, whatever, um, whether your rights are being affected by statutes, etc. you have a right to a declaratory judgment to have your rights declared. And that's at the sidebar. That's before you go in the ring and fight. And once you get a declaratory judgment and decree on the, uh, on the side, uh, and that's binding on all court actions. It's subject to review like all other court actions, but still binding. It's a, it's, it's a, a binding case. So it's not like it doesn't have any teeth. Oh, okay. So if your rights are declared in this action, you could pack it full of different questions that would be, uh, you know, that you need clarification on uh, as, to, as yeah. to your rights. And this decree, if it's not answered back, the judge has no choice but to, to, do, to make a declaration in your favor. Um, nice thing is, is that it can be used as evidence in any other case that wouldn't be involving those parties. 
Yeah, you might come back with an injunction, or you might come back with uh, maybe maybe an award for um, uh, to, to for punitive damages against them for fraud if the them if the, if the matter is uh, to that extreme. Uh, you know, does is the part did the party have uh, was he proceeding in fraud? Did they have a contractual a right of assignment? Did the original contract allow the assignment the the way that they've taken it? Did your mother sign an agreement with them? Did, uh, was the was the contract was the was the contract conscionable? Um, would you have full disclosure? Uh, was there a meeting of the minds? Was there a lawful consideration? Was there a real consideration? <laughs> yeah, right. that was yeah. yeah. I, I read that. I read the, the contract, and that was that was horrible. That was ridiculous. I don't, I don't know why she did. I don't know why she. She's an older lady, and she does not per se read. She's searching. I would not have ever put anything on that. I would start marking things out left and right. Well, unfortunately, most people don't read the contracts that they do sign. And they're in a lot of problems. Sorry, Daniel. Go ahead. No, I was, I was just thinking, did, um, did the contract specify the type of payment? Did it specify um, that the, the payment would be returned in cash, gold or silver, Federal Reserve notes? Uh, what, what did it say? What does the contract um, specify? Did the contract um, specify arbitration or the courts of the state? I mean, these are things that yeah, you have to look at. Yeah, 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 it did, yes. Um, they just they changed the quality of it. The um, I don't know if it's the standard procedures when they do these types of mortgages or whatnot, but the um, attorney um, makes himself the trustee, and then he starts changing around who, who um, the individuals are and makes um, the holding company a beneficiary, and then the holding company, they transfer everything to, to a bank. And I, so it's my understanding, the holding company just just, just put the whole thing for a third party. It was not supposed to be transferred, especially uh, the uh, collateral to the bank. To a, an alleged bank, that's supposed to stay with the holding company. I mean, I. I didn't quite get well, that. Being that it's trust, there should be lots of issues ripe for declaratory judgment as far as yeah. equity. Yeah, I did. Yes. I mean, it's just now that I, um, I have uh, this bar member. I mean, I'm still doing the paperwork. Because, I mean, when I didn't talk to this guy. He just stood up. Lawyers don't do the paperwork. He's like paralegal to do all of that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm still doing this, but I think I'm doing it through him now. Well, again, if he's a bar member, he's not going to be on your side. And, yes, and not at your all. Right, and you can have your rights declared to be able to um, represent your mother in this matter. And you do have an interest, multiple interests. One, it's your mom. Two, you're an heir. You know, there's, there's uh, you know, nothing there about practicing law. Okay? Okay. It's kind so, of judgment. You can have your... Does that go to the other party, or does that go um, to the alleged court? What's that? Does that um, the declaratory um, 
judgment and decree is that done before the court or is it sent? I mean, through the administrative process to the appointed? Uh, is, is it both? No, it's done. It's done through the court. And okay, there it is. Be going on the you're bringing a claim. Okay, I got you. I got you. I got you. I understand that. I got you. Okay. Oh. including the judge because he's claiming that you don't have a right to do something that you know you have a right to do but it's an offensive claim you're going on the offense you're bringing a, you're bringing an action okay and that action is to have your rights declared once they're declared you know the questions you're asking in your declaratory judgment should destroy whatever case they're having or trying to push through. It'll stop all the games. You'll be able to define and look at the, the, the actual uh, parties. Everyone has to account for themselves as to who they are and where their interests lie and how they got them. Okay. Okay. Excuse me, David. Yes. Would would that be the um, judicial inquiry questions? No. Well, again, uh, hold on. Uh, we're talking about an action that's uh, for a um, uh, foreclosure. Now, oh, in, in, a, in, a different situ in a different situation, and we can get to your situation next. Okay. <laughs> but we wanted to give uh, uh, Mario a chance to, to listen to a couple, of, you know, some things that uh, would make sense. <laughs> no, situation. that's great. I'm actually talking with a guy from Connecticut. He works with like a thousand families, all dealing with foreclosure. And he's an international banker um, dealing with um, all the – it's a tribal bank, though. So this is this will right. be good information for me. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. All right. So, uh, Daniel, did you have any other uh, things to add as far as uh, how a declaratory judgment action might help Mario in that situation? Yeah, let's just. Um, I was uh, I was traveling, so my on my mind was on two different things. So I'm about ready to pull in here and and uh, at the airport where I'm picking somebody up and pull over here and uh, stop. So um, Mario, I think that the, what what comes to my mind is the um, you've got when you got a foreclosure, you've got a number of different issues there. You've got the initial contract that created the foreclosure action. And did they follow the the process to uh, you know to uh, to uh, verify and validate the, the obligation? And you know, did they take the proper steps to, to bring you know mom into court? And uh, of course, that's that's a forensic examination of the uh, uh, of the whole affair. And there are there are specific people that are really good at that. I'm not claiming to be really good at forensic um, audits on, on foreclosure per se. It's not something that I've spent a lot of time on. David might have more experience on that. But what I will tell you is once you do get the mistakes 
um, you know, having the mistakes and knowing the mistakes and knowing how to use a tool to make those mistakes um, help you get to the winning side of, of any, any court case, as it's called, is a, two different things. And so what we were discussing tonight, my understanding of the call was to try to um, formulate some examples of how a declaratory judgment and decree can be used, uh, you know, off the cuff uh, for situations such as yours, um, for the different people that are on the call tonight. And um, so you got, so what you got is you've got, uh, if, if you have a forensic examination and they have missed steps along the way, and uh, the judge is rushing you to judgment, you have a right to a declaratory judgment so that you can have your rights declared. Um, so if they've, um, if they haven't defined uh, what she shall, what she's supposed to pay the 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 uh, the, the, the penalty in, uh, you you can ask that question on uh, you know by decree. You know, is it M1, M2, M3, M4? What's the contract state? Um, so I just want to say that in my opinion, the reason why I think a declaratory judgment is so valuable is that regardless what your situation is, your rights, your, your legal relations, and your status will be affected by some attorney somewhere. And a declaratory judgment is where you can get your, um, these, uh, these flaws declared without going to, to, uh, to taking the guy to task, without, without suing him, per se. You are bringing him in as a respondent, but you're bringing him to the sidebar. And, uh, and it's subject to review. So it's a very powerful, rigid tool that you can add to uh, whatever case you're involved in. If you're already involved in a case, you don't have to follow a separate action. You just make a complaint with a, de you know, uh, with a declaratory judgment uh, uh, attached basically as a part of the complaint, you know, complaint with the declaratory judgment, yeah. and look for a decree so that this, this uh, man in the black robe is forced to... Uh, to not hand over the, the house and the lands or whatever to the other side because you're, you're asking for your rights, your status, and your legal relations. So if you're interested, if you've got an interest in an, in an instrument, well, what's your interest in here? Well, I'm an heir, and I'm, a, and, and, I'm a, and I'm a power of attorney. My mother has appointed me as her agent in this. I don't need anything else in that. There's no practice of law. I don't have to practice. I get it right the first time. Um, you know. <laughs> That's all that comes to mind, I, and nothing else new on that one, David. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Uh, who, uh, all right, so who was talking in whose case uh, were we bringing up about the uh, – who asked the question about the uh, jurisdictional inquiry and, and uh, judicial notice? Oh, that was, that was me. I was um... – because you had mentioned to him um, the questions you said would knock him out of the ballpark. Um, I didn't realize you guys were talking about foreclosure, so I was wondering what were those questions. Well, uh, again, they, they're different in every case. Right. You know, as it pertains to you, okay? Um, and I basically, you know, heard you say those, you know, those specific documents, which are, Part of you know part of a process that uh, that I had made up and, and uh, that I've been working with with Daniel, along with the uh, declaratory judgment action, and um, 
it's a good question because if you are going, you know, from the start of a case, this is much easier. Let's say, uh, well, again, uh, we can use your case because you did go back and file uh, these documents into your case. Yeah. If you want to explain that, and uh, we'll answer how how the declaratory judgment would work in in your situation. Yeah, I was wondering because um, I didn't know if it was too late for me to get the declaratory judgment um, or or not. But I did um, file the judicial inquiry, and um, with that, I did my affidavit of facts to fire the attorney, and um, I submitted also the judicial notice of private trust and a memorandum by the attorney general on a religious freedoms. And then I also, like a week later, I mailed another affidavit of facts to remove the judge off of my case. But I really love the questions on this judicial inquiry. That just nails it. See, when you do, when you use that, up front, those are the a lot of those same questions you can ask within the declaratory judgment action, and you've already okay. created your evidence, serving them those first initial documents, then you know waiting your twenty thirty days, and then serving them the estoppel and default judgment document. Um, and again. Uh, it's so much easier to use a, a, a declaratory judgment action right off the bat before anybody gets in the ring. Before you, you know, if you get a ticket, <laughs> you want to make sure that you go and, and file the, your declaratory judgment action. Now, the nice thing about you using this process is your declaratory judgment is going right to the heart of jurisdiction and whether or not they have any authority over you. Yep. Okay, that's the whole point of the jurisdictional inquiry. We're trying to find out, hey, if you have proof of ownership that you own me and or my stuff, then prove it. Bring your evidence. Right. Show me the thing. Right. You know? Right. Where's, 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 what was the deed that, you know, that evil deed that, that made me your slave or your property? Right. You know, so that document is very powerful, and and the questions that we're asking there go directly to jurisdiction. Without any authority, yeah. they have no authority to a case. Period. Yeah, and it's subject matter. You are the subject matter of that trust they're trying to administrate in the public, and or right. your stuff that's been registered into the public, licenses and things like that. Okay. So in your you know, in your case, you've already submitted these documents to create that evidence. So creating a declaratory judgment action around that is, you know, just the next logical step. You sent it all in, nonchalant, you know, nobody, you know, and you sent it in, in your case. You've notified them. You know, yeah. this was something that they needed to respond to, and they didn't. So now you're not going to file anything else into this case. You're going to bring your own no. action, that okay. territory judgment action. Okay. Uh, I'm going to let Daniel speak. Daniel, you, you, you're free there to speak? I am. 
Yeah, so you've got questions from judicial inquiry that are unanswered. Of course, they're not going to answer, right? They don't like incoming. They just are paid right. answers. They don't, they don't like receiving. So you've got these questions that you don't have answered, and they directly correlate with your due process rights as far as um, their system is concerned. They can't, uh, they can't operate, uh, even though they railroad you, that's not what's within the bounds of their, uh, of their, of their, their job. Can you hear me just fine? Yeah. Okay. Well, it goes to, it goes to, um, it goes to nature and cause. And your, your inquiry that uh, whatever it might be, whatever your questions are, your valid questions that can help you comprehend uh, the nature and cause, you're, you have this, uh, this right. You can't rush you to judgment um, by their standards. And the beauty, yeah. the beauty of the declaratory judgment is it is adopted in, um, I believe, most of the states. I don't remember which one has not adopted it. Uh, but there's the Federal Declaratory Judgment Act that is uh, a federal um, uh, under um, Title 28, uh, I believe that's 2202, I believe, creation of remedy. I could be wrong about that right now while I'm sitting. Um, and uh, your, your state action under the Uniform Declaratory uh, Judgment Act uh, was adopt most likely adopted uh, sometime uh, after the 40s and before the 60s, right in there, and uh, the 1960s, 1940s and 1960s, and they adopted the Uniform Declaratory Judgment Act, and it really does provide a tool for equitable remedy and relief that you can, it says all courts uh, within their uh, respective, all courts of record can, can entertain a declaratory judgment. You're not stuck on which court that you get to hear it, but the mm. simple way if you got a court already open, you got a case already open. Um, I say start right there because it's all subject to review. If you know that that man in the black dress, excuse me, robe, decided to uh, answer you incorrectly, and you know he's wrong, um, you just re you know move it forward to his boss and see if two of them are going to defraud you, um, or and just keep going. If you're uh, once again, you know this is not for the people that are are. Um, that, that don't have a desire to move. This is for people that really want to um, see remedy. It's not for those that uh, are going to slumber on their rights. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm definitely an action taker. I want to do anything and everything to establish myself. Well, we like you. Yep. yep we, need more like, we need more like that. Yeah, I agree. So who would be above her? You said go to go above if she, um, go above her, like to her boss. Who would her boss be? Well, are you are you in a circuit court? Um, state court is that a circuit court? I don't even know what a circuit court is. Well, you're you're in a state court in a county court level. You're at a, a, a court of record. You're not in a city court. You're not in a, a municipal court. Right, it's a court of record. Okay, well then you have the court of appeals or the Supreme Court normally in your state, one or the other. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so, you would, you know, your, um, your matters, um, I particularly would prefer going to the Supreme Court. I know they're pretty strict about what they want to hear and what they don't. They're pretty snooty. Um, but uh, they might kick it back to the Court of Appeals. 
but you have uh, any court of record has can entertain a declaratory judgment, and the next pecking order would be either the court of appeals or the or the or the Supreme Court. You can look at the at the appellate rules. If you're going to enter into a machinery called court, it's a very good idea to acquaint yourself with the rules of that court. I wouldn't go flying my plane on a runway at an airport if I didn't know the rules of the airport. Right. I put my, because I might be take off and crash into the guy that's just getting ready to land. I need to know the yeah. rules of engagement. So knowing the rules of the machinery of the court you're in, those rules are, are generic. They're not supposed to be one-sided or, or, you know, for the plaintiff or for the defendant. It's for yeah. the fair adjudication of a matter. So knowing the rules and then knowing the appellate, uh, what you need to do to, to appeal the lower court's um, knucklehead decision. And by the way, if you're a judge on here and you're getting upset that I called you knucklehead, I had ten other names that were far worse. Huh. Anyway. <laughs> Okay, yeah, because I was wondering um, if and when to move my case into the Supreme Court. Well, you know, if, you know, I, I don't know where your case is. I don't know what your case is, um, and I don't need to know all the specifics. All I know is that this particular tool, I have seen um, such, such wonderful um, results with it. I'll tell you how it's used. Now, you might not have heard our, our previous call about declaratory judgments, but in, no. in quiet, title, quiet title actions are declaratory judgment actions. Okay. And, okay. And, and, and so uh, a quiet title is a, you're getting uh, your rights, your status, and your legal relations on relation to a house or property declared. And there's really not much else you can do because your, your opponent's not going to show up and fight oftentimes in a quiet title. Somebody yep. passed or somebody um, defaulted or somebody skipped town. You did your publication. You quieted the title. You gave a notice. You want a decree that this place is yours. That's a declaratory judgment action. So quiet titles are declaratory judgment actions. So if you comp- comprehend that, now you can ask yourself a question. Well, how come lawyers don't use declaratory judgment actions? Well, I'll make that real simple. That won't pay the Porsche payment. Right. Because they don't want you to make these declarations because they don't want you to have your rights. Well, that's one thing, and that's, of course, that's the sinister side of it. But the purely um, financially and money-motivated um, position here is, why would I go to the sidebar and get the rights of my client declared, boom, bada-bing, bada-bong, all over, then and there on the sidebar, and uh, they're happy, but I can't make money on the motions, on the interrogatories, on the telephone calls, on the briefs, on the uh, interrogatories, et cetera. You know, all of of the trappings, you know, I mean, they go and, and get the turkey dinner, and I'm over here, i got all my sides to sell. Right. So, so they, they go right to the sidebar and get in a decree. That's why an attorney won't use these things. I helped, um, I helped somebody get their um, grandchildren, uh, the grandchild back in their life using a declaratory judgment. And uh, wow. the attorney, the attorney um, for the uh, opponent, uh, opposing side uh, said, this is rather irregular. 
And the judge said, yeah, it's rather irregular, but it's, it's, uh, it's acceptable. Right. They were, <laughs> they, what, what's irregular was the fact that it's not something that they do. Right. You know? and, hey, I have a dog and pony show. You're not allowed to bring your cat in here. Right. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. You're welcome. All right. Anybody else have a case that they that they are dealing with uh, right now that they may want to get some tips as to how a declaratory judgment action may help turn the tides on that case in your favor? Not everybody speak at once. <laughs> We got a lot of folks on the call, and this week we're doing a little different. Uh, normally we'd uh, have a conversation. Well, I'd have a, a monologue and talk for about an hour. Um, then we'd have some questions and conversation. Today uh, we're looking for a little participation. If you have an actual issue that you're dealing with, um, what we'd like to do is to be able to show you how a, a declaratory judgment action might work for you uh, in getting your rights declared and uh, turning the case around, especially in cases that are, you know, the state versus you. But this declaratory judgment action is a great tool in just about any situation. So if you have a situation, please uh, speak up and put it out there on, on, uh, on the table for us and... Uh, you don't have to go into all the specifics, but uh, we've had a uh, foreclosure that we've been discussing. Um, basically, I know Catherine's been uh, railroaded over and over again uh, in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. If there's uh, anybody else on here that's dealing with an issue that would like some help and, and uh, to see how this declaratory judgment action might help you, actually, and uh, turn your case around. I have a question. Would the declaratory... Uh, I do have a question. Who's this? Would the, de would the declaratory judgment uh, be a useful tool in a, a uh, foreclosure state that's non-judicial? I'll say absolutely, and then I'll let Daniel explain why. Well, the fact is, <laughs> you throw it on me, David. Good job. The fact is, I didn't mean to throw you under the bus there. It's all, it's all good. It was there's a lot of space between myself and the ground. Um, <laughs> the, the declaratory judgment would be so helpful in a non-judicial foreclosure. Because you don't even get, you're not afforded a, a judicial hearing in a non-judicial foreclosure, so you can become the plaintiff in a declaratory judgment act and call them into your court to answer your declaratory questions. And uh, one of the nice things about a declaratory judgment is you can couple it with other um, relief. You can, if your situation is dire, you can create an emergency motion for a uh, temporary restraining order, for example, and uh, supported by an affidavit to show, like, hey, they're getting ready to chop down this 
oak tree in the front of my yard there claiming eminent domain. That thing's been in my family for a couple hundred years. My grandma and grandpa cut their names in it. We've got a swing in, on there, and, and uh, that's part of the family heritage, and that's part of our family farm. It's not part of their property. I need some help now. So you can, and that's not, not a really extreme case. It's a mild case. Um, but uh, for a, an example, I've been using it for a long time. But, uh, you know, they've they're got chainsaws in hands. We need a declaratory decree right now. And so you couple it with an injunction, which is uh, an, a, a, um, an equitable relief, or an outlaw um, award. You can couple it with an award for some form of repayment or recoup or remuneration, not both. Um, so you go one way or the other with the declaratory judgment. But if you get the declaratory decree, there's nothing for stop, for uh, foreclosing you, nothing stopping you for moving for no, for whatever the action that you would just. For example, if you were you were told by the declaratory judgment you have a cause of action for recouping of of, uh, of um, uh, payments or uh, back whatever or whatever the decree was. You turn around and now you can bring your cause of action, your civil cause of action for recoupment. And guess what? The attorneys that are so used to buying them time for the uh, for the respondent in uh, a civil suit can't 12b6 you. Now, for those that don't know what I mean by 12b6, that's a typical attorney tool that they pull out of their tool bag summarily when you file suit, especially if you're filing suit um, against uh, one of their own. They, they say failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted. Well, guess what? You've got your declaratory decree right there in your uh, exhibits, and that's uh, what's, what's giving you ca cause and rise. That is your a proof of, um, of, of a cause for claim for relief. So if you didn't fail to state a claim, your judge told you had one. So they can't bump you out of the ballpark. It makes it a lot more difficult. They're going to have to... Uh, come on to the uh, to the field and answer within their uh, 20 or 30 days, whatever your state statute pr provides in your civil rules. Otherwise, you'll win by default. Now, your whatever you win in your decree by their default or otherwise becomes the judgment in whatever other case you move it over to, and you can motion to dismiss or mo uh, or whatever in that in that subsequent case based upon the decree in this case that you were a, a plaintiff in. Mm. Um, I'll give you an example of how I used it, and so you um, hear um, one of my most um, beneficial uh, uses of it was uh, someone dear to me who's no longer with me um, kept coming to me and asking me to help him uh, sue this uh, for this house. He had quick claimed uh, somebody quick claimed his house and land to him, and uh, the it already had been absconded from back taxes by the state. They already, had, uh, they already took the house for back taxes. The property, um, uh, the time to redeem the property had already expired. It was passed the two years, so the, uh, the party had no right to redeem pursuant to the redemption provision of uh, the uh, delinquent taxes um, and uh, subsequent uh, seizures afterwards. And so the, um, the commissioner of state lands was, um, uh, was asking, uh, you've got like 20 days or 30 days, whatever it was, if you object to this, um, this um, 
collector's deed to be given to the new owner, uh, you can. This is your chance to speak. You, you know, you got 30 days to speak. And he kept coming to me, saying, "Hey, can you help me sue? Can you help me sue?" And I said, "No, no, no. You got no cause of action. No." And I kept putting him off. He just kept being persistent with me, thinking that I would eventually have some kind of a aha moment. And uh, during one of these events, and I was telling him no. I just said, look, I said, if you can come and, and, if, and if this woman that uh, gave you this quick claim deed, if she was in a mental institution, maybe you can have excusable neglect. But outside of that, you have not displayed any cause of action where I can help you. Poof, he was going. Wow. You know, Speedy Gonzalez, he was out the door. He comes back in half an hour, 45 minutes later, whatever. And he said, good news. She was in a mental institution during the time that um, – she was to that she had to redeem the property. I said, Ah, oh, mm-hmm. give me something to work with. So I'm showing you how I used it. So a declaratory mm-hmm. judgment was was created whereby the commissioner of state lands had to answer the declaratory judgment on taking a house from a a woman who was mentally unstable, who didn't was not able to meet the demands within a two year period of time with excusable neglect by nature of her unwellness. Thing, mm. what? After the, the house was already sold, they gave the guy his check back and they turned over the house to this fellow. Lickety split. They didn't even answer the suit. This was before the, before the time to answer the declaratory judgment is up. He won. They didn't even answer it. Wow. So it's a very it's powerful great. tool. It is great, actually. It's a very powerful tool. And uh, yeah, it was like a hundred and like a hundred fifty thousand um, uh, dollar right across the board advancement to this man's estate, merely for putting a declaratory judgment in. That um, there, once you learn how to do it, they become a simple tool. It's 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 sort of like you know once you learn your one two punch, you know no one better mess with you. You know this is yeah. your go to. This is your go to for a. Um, as far as tools are concerned, that are unusual but remedial. And if you read the Act, they're perfect for those of us. If your rights are affected by statute, if you're interested in an instrument and you don't, and you need your rights declared, your right, your right status and legal relations, you can have a declaratory judgment. I keep saying the same things over, so the repetition, you can understand that if it's about any situation that anybody on this call is going to, we can, we can. That's why David is, is uh, stirring people up. Bring your situation to the table so we can show you how you can, a declaratory judgment can help you. Ultimately, we, we'd like to show people how they can start, quote, putting the ball in their own court. Yeah. And a lot of times people are interested in trying to defend themselves. You know, lots of blocking, lots of punting it back after it's been punted in your court. That's not a, um, a that's not a, a that's not you going on the offensive. Answering somebody's claim and cause of action is not an offensive move. Right. But a declaratory judgment is an offensive move. Move. Mm. The petitioner plaintiff. They have to answer yeah. your case. And it has to be, and I want one, one caveat here, it has to be an actual controversy that the court can settle. If the t- court determines there's no controversy that it can settle, it can refuse to hear the de- declaratory decree. So it's not a hypothetical. 
there has to be a controversy within uh, their purview that they could actually resolve. You can't go, well, what if I was driving down the road and, you know, and I, you know, wasn't wearing my seatbelt and a cop stopped me, but I wasn't traveling in the state. I was, I was on the land of the United States of America and I was a sovereign and, he was a he was in commerce, and so what if this happened? What you know? That's a hypothetical. Whereas, if you actually were in that situation, and you have uh, and you understand the commercial element of trade traffic and transportation being the commercial um, uh, element that uh, is required for the court to have jurisdiction to hear a commerce matter within the traffic codes, and you are not operating in person, then you have a right to a declaratory judgment. Absolutely. It's not a defensive mo move, though. The problem, with, the problem with our minds is that we've been, um, I will say, is that we have defensive in nature when it comes to court. We're always thinking about defending against something. We don't think about um, taking, uh, reaching into our swing in our bag and putting a stone right in the middle of that, that man that Goliath. Right in his forehead. The man that Goliath, you know Goliath? As in a liar? Yes. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I would like to encourage everybody to go to your um, to go to your court's civil rules and look up the declaratory judgment action that the your uh, your state has codified. Now, it is a um, it is a a squeaky clean plausible deniability that they have on the books because you know you do have a, a remedy. If your uh, if your rights are being affected by statutes, you don't have to sit there and take it. There is remedy on the book. Right. Right. And like Daniel was using the analogy of the the rock and the sling, and David having, you know, a nice sharpened rock. He had five rocks, five causes of action. Uh, in in declaratory judgment, though, you only need one. Yeah, you really need one. You may have a laundry list of them, and uh, dealing with the state, especially, there usually is a laundry list of causes of action. Right. But uh, you don't need to to list them all uh, unless you want it declared for every single cause. Uh, your rights. And mm -hmm. and again, we're statutory people. We're not, we're not statutory persons, okay? Those are legal fictions. We talked about that last week. So, mm -hmm. you know, legality is not reality. Well, declaratory judgment is an equitable tool, so we can bring equity using that declaratory judgment. See, they hide mm -hmm. behind limited liability. And instead yeah. of, you know, we can, uh, we can have our rights declared and at the same time, uh, somebody else's responsibility, if they have uh, responsibilities or 
um, where a lot of times uh, these actors are not, you know, brought to task for their actions. They have no, yeah. they get no response. Declaratory action is, a, you know, declaratory judgment is another way to use, uh, is, is, a, is a way to get that as well. Do I yeah. have a right to, do I have a right to make rules up for you? Well, no. Okay, if I try to make up rules for you, you have a right to have your rights declared that you have the right not to listen to my rules. <laughs> well, that's all statutes. That's all statutes. Right. For not or individuals. So, anybody else have a uh, an issue that they'd like to bring up and see if it would be uh, at whether or not it, a declaratory judgment would be good to use in, in that situation? If you're not dealing with a actual situation, that's okay. Uh, you know, for, for uh, content here, uh, you can make up a hypothetical situation or a situation you might have had, or if somebody you know is going through something, and you can see whether or not declaratory judgment would be a, a, a good tool to use in their situation. Somebody, anybody? We got a lot of people on this call. Anybody? All right. Well, then I'll I'll make one up that uh, <laughs> that that we've uh, had to deal with uh, quite often, and that we are using uh, declaratory judgment actions right now, uh, working on some uh, for these cases where the state comes and and takes a child from its parents. What do you think about that one, Daniel? Well, here's the thing about that one. You know, the uh, the one thing about that that really um, frosts me is that, you know, the the father and mother in that equation has lost nearly all rights belonging in person. I said that very specifically. And that act right there in my opinion, and I know that you share it, is that's where the, the problem is in these cases. They've lost their ability as the ad administrator of the estate of that little one. And so uh, the, you're, uh, you are the administrator, the trustee, the, um, in, in the case of your, your, um, your offspring, they're, the, they're your inheritance, the writ says, the scriptures say. So you're, the inheritance means that you're, a, that you're an, it's, your, it's what, you, what belongs to you. It's your right. It's your, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, David? Property. Yeah, it's your property. property. It's, your, it's your estate. That's what I was looking for. Your estate. And, yeah, it's your estate. And uh, your estate's going to be spoiled by statutes, uh, even worse, by some foreign um, uh, treaty? No, not hardly. So how do you make the objection? Do you make it defensively 
And now every, everybody on this call is probably real familiar with fighting defensively. Motion to dismiss, affidavit of repudiation, um, I need to declare my status. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not the other. By the way, I'm, I'm, you've heard the statement, you can't prove a negative. Um, I'm all for, you know, your positive, what you are. Uh, you know, that needs to be what you need to be focused on, what you are, a profession of your faith, not a profession of your not faith. Uh, so I would encourage you all to consider um, a mind change. This is, does require declaratory judgment, does require thinking uh, a little bit differently than we have in the past. Are we defending against those that steal our children, or are we coming against them and saying these are our, our property? And so we would pull the declaratory judgment out. And like you said, we are um, uh, a high-profile big case. We have a desire to work with somebody, and they're putting together the facts right now to establish the affidavit, to um, build the complaint and declaratory judgment and the offensive action on. And I don't see a lot of other hope out there for these situations. I, you know, I always have my ear to the ground, who's doing something to help somebody. Oh, so-and-so helped somebody out and they got their kids back. Who? Well, I don't know, but I just heard it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. So these, these stories are, are incredible. I had my little ones, when I had my little ones, I was smart um, at that time and educated not to talk to those um, criminals in Child Protective Services, but sometimes you can't avoid it, like the, like the cases were involved. I mean, it, you know, they didn't ask for this, and they certainly didn't do anything wrong. It came upon them. Thankfully, when my situation came up, I knew they were coming, and I moved my family to point B. I'll tell you what, I know this is kind of going off the deep end, but I'll share this story because I'm sure there's people on this call that may need this someday. You get somebody coming, calling from Child Protective Services or some corporate agency, you don't have a requirement to talk to them. You have the same right to remain silent as you've always had before your creator. You don't have to testify against yourself. You have a freedom of association. Your good book tells you uh, not to uh, engage with those other fools and, uh, and uh, not to sit in the seat of scornful and make your uh, habitation with sinners. So um, you have, a, uh, you have a, a biblical duty to mark those which walk unruly and to avoid them, as it says in the good book. And I like that one, last one a lot. Um, it doesn't take, don't take the black magic marker out and do that literally, by the way. I just definitely discourage against that. You can make the mark upon them in your heart and your mind. Um, geez, I hope, I'm, maybe you all know I'm joking, right? Anyway, I had this, uh, I had this situation with, um, where the Child Protective Services were, um, were coming to my door, and I moved my family to point B and stayed away. And uh, I sat there, and I dealt with this woman. I'm going to say is this, this was, this was a, a pretty scary situation for her. Back in those days, I was a big guy, big bodybuilder, big white-bearded man. You know, it's pretty problematic, you know, being a white-bearded man. And she was a small, um, young black woman. And I said to her, I don't know you. You're black and I'm white. You may have something against black people. I mean, against white people, excuse me. I don't know who you are. I don't have any confidence in who you are. You're a woman and I'm a man. You might have something against man. 
you're a daughter and you might have something against your father and using your job to, uh, to get back at him. Uh, you're, uh, I, I gave her two or three more examples and said, look, you don't have a warrant in your possession. You go back and you tell your supervisor that I'm not talking to anybody. If you, have, you actually had a warrant, you'd come here with it. I'm not opening my door or my children to you so that you can come in on a fishing expedition to find something that you can find wrong with uh, for my, in my family. Go away, and if you have something you have with a warrant, go away and, and uh, you tell me what he has to say. Well, the sad thing is I tried calling her back for two weeks. I got no answer, so I had to keep my family away for two solid weeks, and it turns out she was on vacation. When she came back uh, after two weeks, I talked to her again. She goes, oh, oh yeah, my, my boss dismissed that case. But I was hanging on uh, tins of needles for two weeks, of course. That was one Child Protective Services case, and that's a, a lesson for people. That's not directly correlative to our subject of declaratory judgment, but it is definitely on staying on your side of being the offensive and, and, not, uh, and not going on the defensive. Uh, another one is I went on the – I had to take – I came back after a long day, and I found out that my 18-year-old – yeah, 18-month-old daughter has uh, – uh, her mother was holding her, her hand, and she did a sit-down. Uh, she, she wanted to run away, and there was traffic, and the mother kept a hold of it, and something happened to her elbow. So she was – I was out of town, and she was squalling and hollering, and so she took her to the emergency room. Well, I got back home. And when, as soon as I found out she took this baby to the emergency room, I said, I don't care what, you might call me radical, pack everything, we're moving tonight. I was in a rental place, and I literally moved them out that evening. Turns out we called out the next day, and we found out that you need to come and talk to Child Protective Services. What for? Well, you got an 18-month-old baby with a fractured, a fractured arm. I said, we did not. What happened was the baby had a swimmer's elbow. The baby's arm popped out of joint because she did a sit-down, and she was holding her mother's right arm and with her right arm, and, and, and she, when she did a sit-down, it twisted, and it popped the elbow out of joint. The doctor came out, popped it right back in a couple of seconds, and she was just fine. But they, the clerk made a clerical error, and for uh, a good period of time, about six, seven months of my life, I was on the run with nationwide warrants for a child, uh, a child uh, situations, uh, child protective services situations. It turned out I, had, I was up in Kansas City, Missouri, and I talked to a friend of mine. I said, I need a good pediatrician because I know one for you. He was a state pediatrician for 40 years. I'll go ahead and give you his name. I said, fantastic. I told him what was going on. I said, Doc, I'm going to bring my family in there. I had nine children. I don't know how many I had at that time. But I brought them all in there, and I said, here, you know, um, poke them and prod them. Tell me what, you know, find anything wrong with them. See if, they, you know, see if the oil is, uh, check the oil, check the fluids. Whatever, I'm being funny, but I said I wanted to have a have him to write up what you see here. We wrote up this review about them being well taken care of, well mannered, clean teeth, um, you know, well fed, uh, you know, courteous, kind, and and the parents being uh, uh, care, caring about their offspring. And I sent it back to that child uh, protective services and said you've made a mistake. There's been no um, uh, fractured elbow and there's no, uh, no cause for a warrant you to drop this warrant, and, and they did. Now, those are two very positive stories. That's not the stories that we're dealing with. We're dealing with somebody that actually had their, child, would have their children taken away after the fact 
we have to we have to work up something a little bit different. But I shared that ahead of time because it was somewhat correlative to our child protective services issue to encourage people to not let them open your not do not open your doors to a fishing expedition. Um, you don't you have every bit of you have every right to your privacy, and uh, if they had a warrant, they'd come with it. So keep that in mind. But as far as the declaratory judgments on child protective services and, and, and issues, I mean, can you find a better cause of action? That's that'll be my question. <laughs> no, our rights to our children are are uh, are, are absolute, uh, barring uh, them being beaten or you know abused. And then it's a, you know it's a different story. But even then, the state doesn't necessarily have to step in. Somebody who cares can step in. But regardless, uh, definitely a situation where we are using declaratory judgment to have the rights of the parents recognized and to get that child back for them or get their children back for them. And there's a million reasons and rights and uh, statuses that, and legal relations and equitable relations that, uh, you know, that have to be decreed in those situations. And it is unfortunate that we didn't do this up front or have the ability to do this up front, uh, which we would do now if anybody had that situation. Uh, declaratory judgment right up front and a demand back of your property of your children uh, can definitely be done and move to the front of the docket, you know, the top of the docket. Declaratory judgments do move uh, that case right to the front. Uh, the rights have to be established before the gloves come off. Yeah, the state statutory scheme doesn't... Uh, well, anybody else? Doesn't, can you hear me, David? What's that? Yes. I said the, the state statutory uh, scheme uh, for the Uniform Declaratory Judgments Act, or the provisional scheme, doesn't, uh, qualified, uh, doesn't qualify every case to automatically go to the top of the docket. But for, for good cause shown, they can move these things to emergency. So it's very important when you're doing a declaratory judgment that you establish by affidavit the emergency, and if you have an emergency situation, understand what an injunction is and who you are enjoining, or might even be what you are enjoining from affecting you. If you're a who, then you definitely have rights that a what doesn't touch you. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you're a who, you're a, a man or a woman. A what would be a corporate entity, an agency, uh, some form of um, commercial agent. Agent, right? A what? An office, a government, <laughs> an officer, any title would be a what. 
a fiction of law. To bring up as far as uh, declaratory judgment actions and how they how they work and uh, do you have any questions on how they work or uh, how they might be used um, either to affect your a case that you're involved in or uh, might be involved in or somebody you know is involved in? Nobody knows anybody that has an issue with the courts. Wow, a lot of people on this call. <laughs> well, we've been at this for about an hour and a half. Uh, we can we can change the topic if you'd like. If you guys have any questions whatsoever, uh, if they do uh, pertain to declaratory judgment, feel free to ask them. But if not, and you've got other questions, feel free to ask them now. The legal topic. Um. You're breaking up. Who's that? Um, I just had a question. Uh, and um, earlier, I heard uh, Brother Daniel mention if uh, you know if they don't have a warrant, then you know uh, I'm not open the door. Uh, I believe is something along those lines. Well, um, I've heard this, and I just need to know if it's true or not. Uh, on calls in the past where um, even if they do have a warrant, I've heard that uh, it has to have a bond with it. So if it's uh, a warrant without a bond, uh, that's not good enough. Is that is that true? As far as a, uh, well, again, you'd have to open the door. If, I mean, if they're going to Break in your door if nobody's home. Uh, they say they have a warrant. It has to be a warrant that is uh, under oath, that somebody's attested under oath about something. So there has to be some sort of affidavit attached under oath to that warrant. And it has to be signed by a judge. Okay. And it issued by a clerk seal. There's a lot of elements to make sure that a, that a warrant's legitimate, but as far as uh, if there's no bond on it, yeah, I would, I would say that's, a, you know, again, a question or questionable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had... That's when he's lining, out of, you know, lining up at your door wanting to come in, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know... It's a little difficult, you know, to stave off twenty armed, you know, armed armed officers. Officers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, again, I mean, those are things that you can challenge, and as well, using declaratory judgment uh, prior to court, or you know, before that case goes anywhere. I'll make a comment on that, and it's a very practical one. You're sitting with a bunch of testosterone-juiced, um, caffeine-juiced thugs with billy clubs and guns, and uh, they're going to G.I. Joe at your door. Right. <laughs> that, that's not necessarily the time to argue about a bond. And to be real quite honest with you, 
mm-hmm. a lot of things about mm-hmm. Warren in the past 30 years, and that's the first time I've heard anyone say you don't have to, Warren has to have a bond. Not saying I don't, and I know everything. I'm not going to ever promote that. And I, I, could, I could learn, I learn new things every day. But what I will tell you is that if you want to learn what I know about warrants, um, and, and I read this book about five, six times, it's a publication by Charles Weissman. It's called A Treatise on False Arrest and False Imprisonment. Very good. Okay. A, a Treatise on False Arrest and False Imprisonment is an excellent publication. It's not very long. Um, I used to have stacks of these. I bought a bunch of his books. I also bought The Authority of Law, and I, there's another one he has that I like a real lot. I can't remember right now. <clears throat> but he, has, he was a legal researcher. Chapter 6 deals with warrants. Now, what Chapter 6 will show you, and it will give you the common law um, basis for what qualifies as a lawful warrant. It must have a sworn affidavit, sworn in front of in front of somebody, to take an oath, and it it's required to be in the officer's possession. Men have resisted warrants that was not in the officer's possession, and have walked away scot free from any um, rec, um, uh, how to answer whatever the word is for their actions because the sheriff, deputy, or the police didn't have the warrant in their possession. Now, that was detailed. If he had it in the car, but not in his hand, that still qualified for being in his possession. But, it, you know, it must be provided upon demand. And for you to give answer on a uh, fictitious warrant, that would be the first time they brought you in front of the magistrate, which should be immediately if you know who you are. You're not going to be sitting there and put into jail population for three months later to wait to answer to something. You know, bring me in front of a magistrate immediately. Uh, we've got issues. Um, there's, uh, you know, if, if you've actually hurt somebody, they can swear out a, um, a complaint, and somebody can come and, and have a, a warrant created for your arrest. Uh, that's the way it's been working for hundreds of years. Um, if you've actually harmed somebody and there was a, a witness that swore an affidavit. So I know it has to have a, a sworn witness. I know it has to be in the officer's possession. And it must specifically describe who or what is to be seized or searched. Those are that, that's what I do know. As far as the bond, I will tell you that they're insolvent. They don't have um, bonds like we can bond. They're on the ledger, uh, the, on the side of the ledger that is we're in debt. Everything about their system is in debt. They're right. Not, not solvent. So they wouldn't have a bond like your bond anyway. They mm-hmm. bond under limit, the limited liability insurance company. That's a, and you know, that's a plausible, plausible deniability, limited liability. That's well, thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Any other topics, questions, comments? We've got a bit of time left, so 
thought I heard somebody about to speak. I have, I have a question. It doesn't really relate to this, but how does a guy open a sewer pipe that is plugged underneath the house? How does what? A guy open a sewer pipe that is plugged underneath the house. Very I'm not getting your question. <laughs> You're right. Very careful. A sewer pipe is plugged underneath the house. How do you unplug it? Call a, a power snake. A power snake. <laughs> you pull the toilet up, you get a power snake. You put it down there and you unplug it. We're answering questions of law, and if you have a problem with your house, we'll answer them too. <laughs> All right. Anything that, anything, uh, any topics of law that we uh, would like to discuss? Uh, if you're dealing with a case, going to court, need some help. Now's a good time to bring your questions. In reference to the declaratory judgment, uh, what would be your first move to obtain one? You, you sounded a little bit underwater, but did you repeat that? In reference to the declaratory judgment, what would be your first um, move to obtain one? Daniel, you want to go with that one? Sure. Your first step for declaratory judgment is... Yeah, you might want to mute out. Your first step for declaratory judgment is you would have to start... Um, all right, I'll give you a real short version. And we, we've been talking about um, you know teaching a, a, a class which is a little bit more detailed, but... Let's just satisfy that you have a, let's just give you a checklist. You need to know the parties and the relationship between the parties. You need a, an affidavit, a chronological order of the facts, not conclusions of law. Facts are things that happened. Conclusions of law are your interpretation of what that action means. Your conclusions of law do not belong in an affidavit. I believe he denied me of my rights of, uh, he took away my due process rights and blah, blah, blah. No, put the facts out there, what he did. You can argue uh, your conclusions of law, but you do that in something called a brief. And you brief out the reasons why such and such was a uh, violation of due process. And then that's where you can include your court cases and whatever you want to show that this is res judicata. It's been um, determined wherever, you know, uh, courts in Panama, the courts in the United States, the courts in Canada, the court everywhere, they've all agreed to this. This is, a, you know, well-established. And so that's where you would use your uh, court cases in your brief. But you start out with getting all the parties, and then you are going to create an affidavit to support that complaint. The complaint are, are, are the things that happened. And you're going to write it out on a complaint, and then you're going to support your complaint by affidavit, and then you're going to um, uh, do a declaratory, pray for your prayer, your prayer, that's what they call it, your prayer for relief, 
is a declaratory uh, decree. And ultimately, I believe a lot of these things were because we were, uh, we were following scriptures and our prayers were for God for our salvation. And that's why they carried over the, the term prayer for relief, because we were coming before the Almighty with these actions. And the, the judge was supposed to be making sure that the words and the decrees of the Almighty were taken care of. And, of course, I agree with David that the, uh, that's found in the history of Connecticut. They, the, the all-rise ceremony was when the judge walked in with the Bible in his hand, they rose to the scriptures. But I'm, I kind of digress there. So you've got the parties, you've got the affidavit, you've got the complaint, and then you pull the declaratory, your questions, which are ripe for declaratory judgment. And is, is this what you're, you're asking? How do, you, how do you do this? How do you set one up? Are you, are you um, ultimately you write the document and then you file it in a, in a court case that uh, if you already have one, you won't pay the, uh, a filing fee. Uh, some people have, uh, have been successful about not paying filing fees. I've been successful not pay, paying filing fees, but not, not the way I'd like to do it. Uh, personally, um, at this point in time, I haven't overcome the filing fee cost for the clerk to get their uh, change for the filing and uh, the adjudication and, and, and all that you pay for for her to uh, hold the record. So someone else may have some more knowledge and wisdom on me. I don't know all things. But uh, I would say you file the, the, the cause of action. In most jurisdictions, it's uh, you know, between 150 to 200 bucks for a circuit court level at the, at the, at the uh, county level, and it's worth it if the case goes away and you get judgment in your favor. You know, to me, it's, it was well worth the $200 for your child back or your house back or your dog back or even your wife back in some instances. So where would you file that? If, 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 yes, absolutely. Um, uh, adding on to that, where would you file it if you don't have a court case? Well, is it a state case or a federal case? Let's start with that. If it's a federal question, you'd use the Federal Declaratory Judgment Act. If it's something that the state has concurrent jurisdiction at, I'm particularly fond of starting in the state because then I can move to the feds rather than starting in the fed, have it remand. I'd rather go ahead and start. I'm personally fond of starting it as close to home as possible. And then because you've got the right, to, right of review anyway. Um, so I would file it immediately in the, in the circuit court close to you um, as far as the territorial venue is concerned. If you live in um, uh, you know, Phoenix, Arizona, you're going to go right down to the, uh, the circuit court that's closest to you, and you're going to file it right there. And that is if all the parties are in Arizona and are answerable. Obviously, if the parties are diverse, you have no choice but to use the United States District Court. They answer, they, they'll respond to um, issues between parties of, of different jurisdictions. Is that what you're asking? Yes, yes, you just answered You hit the nail right on the head. Thank you very much. Thanks for your question. Anybody else have any questions? We've got a bit of time left, so plenty of time to go over your situation. David and Daniel, <clears throat> this is Linda. 
and I've um, done non-statutory, non-contentious abatement in the local court here. And I was wondering if you can do a declaratory judgment in the same way that I do non-statutory, non-contentious abatements that are filed into the court. They're not filed into the case, but they're filed, um, which is free of charge, into the offices. And they can decide if they want to do something with that case or not. I'm sorry, I got bumped and I missed all of that. I heard Linda. Hi, Linda. I just thought the last thing. I got bumped right during during your conversation. It must have been so much power when you come on. It just bumped me right off. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, um, I've done non-statutory, non-contentious abatements that are just called abatements. And I have put it into the office of the, of the county attorney. I put it in the office of the clerk of court. And I put it into the highest uh, office of the, of the um, um, judiciary, the presiding judge here in Arizona at the time. And they, they um, it was um, a non-statutory, non-contentious abatement that wasn't even put into the, that was not filed into the case. But it questioned, it had three main questions. It was just one page um, of why I should uh, respond to this case. <laughs> and the case, uh, never went anywhere, and it's been probably eight years now. So I was wondering if a declaratory judgment could be put in to um, the office of clerk, the office of county attorney, our district attorney, and the office of presiding judge. Um, I was wondering if a declaratory judgment could be done the same way without having to adjudicate it into a case? Well, that's a very good question, Linda. I've never done it that way. I've done the abatements the way you're doing. Of course, abatement is there's a defect, and because of this defect, I can't respond. It's a, it's a little bit of a different tool. Um, it's like the difference of going out in the garden with a hoe and maybe a, a, a metal rake. So it's a different tool, uh, an abatement. But I've never done a declaratory judgment um, that way, and I'm certainly willing to try. I've done it the well, other way. Well, I, I would be very interested to know if the declaratory judgment so, would work that way. Linda, are you asking, like, if, uh, if the state was bringing a case against you, rather than putting um, in an abatement you file a declaratory judgment action to have your rights and all the rights of all parties declared, um, and I know what you're looking for is separation there yes. from the statutes oh. and codes that they're bringing uh, in the yeah, case against you. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a different story, David. Yeah. In that case, I would say absolutely. I was thinking that you were you can't when you're doing something offensively where you're starting the cause of action. They've got this little machinery in place where they be, that that you know it's like one of those rides down at the carnival. If you don't put the quarter in, the kitty's not going to take the ride. So they've got this little machinery in place, and it's a well-oiled machine, and that's how the ride gets turned on, the court process. But on a situation where you're taking into declaratory judgment because they're coming after you, no, you don't pay, you don't pay any money for that. Because it's in response to their, um, to, to, to their bourgeois. Well, um, if they bring a false claim, if they bring a false claim against you, or any claim against you for that matter, whether it's approved false or, or not up front, um, you can demand that your you know legal relationship between the state and yourself be, be spelled out and that they provide you proof. That goes straight to jurisdiction, whether or not yeah. they have authority over you in the first place. Yeah. Among other things, I mean, you destroy the case, you go through the case and pull out all of the uh, assumptions and presumptions that are yeah. that they filed in their claim. Yeah. And rather than then, uh, rather than you know rather than answering any of their complaints, you bring your counter complaint in the form of a in the form of a declaratory judgment action. Yes. And if that was um, put towards the case, but not actually in the case, it wouldn't even be on the record. Because, well, again, uh, your claim pops to the top of the docket. Your counterclaim yeah. is now in first position. Now they have to respond and make proof that, of their jurisdiction. They've got to bring your pink slip. They ownership papers. Yeah. Okay. I, and before I anything make else moves on. Go ahead. I, I just wanted to make a quick comment, and I think I've mentioned it on the call before, but in Minnesota now, this kind of goes back to, I believe Daniel said it, um, you know, about responding to them. Uh, any responsive motions or pleadings now, you have to pay a $75 fee. Boy, they must be broke looking for new revenue, huh? Yeah, yeah. Just just to answer something or any of it, seventy-five bucks. I sent one in on my my case, and uh, I got a letter back saying if I if they didn't get their seventy-five dollars and within ten days from the mailing of that letter, uh, it would be you know thrown out or whatever. It wouldn't be qualified for the case. Really. So they're holding justice hostage for a fee, huh? Yep, <laughs> exactly. I'd say that's a question that's ripe for declaratory judgment action as to whether or not it's even constitutional in their own in their own uh, rules. That's a question for federal uh, court, I would think. Yeah, and it's even you know for subpoenas the same thing it, it's right in the statute that uh, the you know you get a uh, uh, free subpoenas and um, when my friend had her case I, I printed off that statute she was going to get a couple of subpoenas and um, 
they charged her. I, th- I think it was like fifty or seventy-five bucks for each subpoena, also. And you know, wow. she said, "This is the law. You know, it, it's right here. Here's the statute that says that they're free." And the the clerk there said, "Well, my boss tells me different, and that's what I'm going to do." You know, so. Ooh, and that's ooh. that's really ripe for declaratory judgment. Yeah. Right, yes, Daniel. it is. Who said ooh, ooh? Me, <laughs> Linda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, you know, situation like that, I would bring a, I, I'd bring a, a declaratory judgment action in that situation. Have the clerk respond. Have the judge, have her boss uh, respond. And how charging for for you know charging you to have, to get any justice is constitutional or right at all. <laughs> Where do they get that right? I bet you there'd be an interesting settlement there. I can we talk have a right to justice. Have it uh, held hostage for money. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, it goes to show you how how low the states will stoop to steal from you. But again, that even that is, I mean, it's a good it is a good reason to. Go into the offense. File a declaratory judgment into the case, into the action, and and add those questions to it, among others. See how it can change depending on the situation. These are questions that would be raised as to how come there's fees to you know to move the court or to get justice for you know. Um, you know, if it's a traffic ticket, then, you know, you know, am I in commerce? Am I uh, just traveling? Am I a- a- operating under a right or a-, or a privilege? How does, you know, the relationship to the state pertain to me as a man? So there's a lot of different ways to use this and or reasons why. Um, and I-, I would go as far as to say that just about any situation that you go before a court for is a reason to get your rights and things declared, your right, your status, you know, your capacity, your legal relationships uh, defined and declared prior to going. But prior to doing anything else in the action, if nothing else, it puts you into the plaintiff's seat and puts the other side on the defense. You're flipping the switch, flipping the papers. David? Yes. Yeah, I, this is not first-hand experience, but I have reason to believe the, the uh, truthfulness of veracity of the story. Um, but once again, it's not first-hand knowledge. But I can't see why it, it's not... Uh, it, does, it, fits, it fits a perfect fit for reality. So if a clerk is not following your documents in your case, and what have you, you can go to another county and file a declaratory judgment against the clerk. Watch how fast things change, because that's uh, what uh, another friend of mine did. So, absolutely. 
the state is the state. Yeah, they, they've got a, they've got a, um, I like to look at it like, um, I like these little examples. You know, when I was a kid, So you can you, you you don't have to file in the county the party lives in. You file you could file it where it's convenient for you. It's your action. Okay, because I I just thought I mean if it's going against somebody else, then but maybe I'm not looking at it right. If you're bringing a claim against somebody else. I know in, in Minnesota they tell you you got to do it in the county where they reside. Well, the uh, if it's an, if the other party is the state and state actors, it can be in any it, it, you know again it can all it can be anywhere in the state um, and or you can do it local federal district depending on your situation or what it is but uh, as far as um, bringing your counter you're talking counterclaim or a new claim Chad well I was just going off of what the previous gentleman said about bringing a, a claim against the clerk and do it in a different county that was Daniel uh, yeah I mean, oh again you're when you bring your action, when you bring your action, you can bring it anywhere you want to. It's your action. If it's going in as a counterclaim in another county and the, and the county clerk or that clerk is not allowing evidence to be made on, on, the, uh, on the record, you're allowing you to put your evidence on the record, you can bring your claim in another county against that clerk is what he said yeah yeah and the, the i just I, judge, the declaratory judgment act says no no action shall be open to objection because the declaratory judgment is decree uh, or decree is prayed for so it's not like you don't have any rules but that is it's a process a standalone process it's like a widget you know you put on your phone and you either use it or you don't um, but I was just saying that this guy did it, but he did it in the same court. He went and turned around to the different clerk. This one wouldn't file. He went over and filed the case. They took his money, to, and, and lo and behold, he was suing the clerk that wasn't taking his money. He got immediate uh, remedy. I mean, they wouldn't take his uh, filings. He got immediate remedy. I was just suggesting okay. that you can go to a different uh, a different court because what are you going to do? They're going to say, no, you can't sue here. You've got to sue in the county. Uh, the county won't take my paperwork. That's why I'm suing here. So, um, you know, uh, let's go to the Supreme Court then with it if they won't take a filing. You can't deny me my day in court, so to say, is what I was uh, getting at with that. Of course, I, yeah. I, do like, I do like the avenues, and I do think they need exploration like Linda had shared with um, avoiding the whole public side to begin with and resolving it um, in, you know, in the secret place. I do like that. I lean that way, Linda, by the way. So you, and um, I just want to bring that back out so people can see the uh, efficacy of what she was sharing. I have seen it work on well, my behalf. I've resolved um, 
three cases with abatement, non-statutory, non-contentious, so they're not filed into the court. And I tell the county attorney not to file it into the court. Um, so the, the one who files the court case is just left hanging. They have to resolve their, their uh, difficulties. And I only put three questions in a one-page abatement. If they can't answer one question, if they can't answer one question, that nullifies their case. And they wasted their time and their money. Abatement's another good tool. Another yes. Good tool. They wasted. And no talks of it in in um, chapter. I believe it's chapter eight of Genesis. And Noah, he sends um, Raven. Well, which is really judgmental. He sends a raven for, oh, possibly um, a good part of 20 days. <laughs> and then he sends a dove, and he calls it an abatement. And I researched that um, after I prayed about it. And I found that most of my cases just evaporate, um, and I don't have any house things. Um, of course, I will probably, but um, not yet. Um, I'll resolve most of my things with abatements until they get their jurisdiction straight. We may use a declaratory judgment process to get you some benefits. Well, thank you. But um, that's been a real lifesaver for me because I haven't had money to go do anything with. And I've had to learn about this abatement process that was in process from the time of Noah in Genesis. Absolutely effective. Yes, very. Do we have any other questions or comments? Oh, sorry, Linda, I didn't mean to cut you off then. Well, I was just wondering about the declaratory judgment, if it could be submitted along with an abatement. Daniel? I don't see any reason why not. One does one thing and one does another. An, yeah. an abatement, abatement is you've got to cure a defect and they can never do it. And that's why nope. the abatements are so effective. They can, never, yes. they, can never, they can never cure their defect of jurisdiction. And the declaratory judgment is a, it's the other side. It's not a, it's not a demur, but it's a, the other side of the, uh, the coin. It's where you get your rights, legal relations, and status declared on relation to an instrument, on relation to uh, um, their writing or a deed. Uh, so I jurisdiction. 
Yeah, I can see them yeah. being used in tandem. I can see them used effectively in tandem, absolutely. I have a comment. Yeah, this is not the only... Yeah, please go, Chad. Every time I listen to you guys, I realize I have a lot to learn. <laughs> That's all right. Thank We're you, still Lynn. learning, and we've been at it for a long time. Yeah. No, I know. I know, but I appreciate it. You know, I, I really do. So. That's all right. This week we've been thinking about you a lot, Chad, because uh, we are we are going to be putting together a uh, – an actual training course on the declaratory judgment. So, okay. oh great! I know you mentioned yeah. that you, you want to I I do, and you know I've I've spent I didn't get on the call till quarter after seven. I've been since I took Friday and tomorrow off from work to move a garage. So I've been doing that for way too many hours every day. <laughs> took a day off to, from work to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two days. <laughs> but it was Absolutely. my my brother and sister in law's garage and I mean right now it cost you thirty grand to build it and you know, they're loaded and they were just gonna tear it down. And I was like, No you know. It's, <laughs> it's got value to me, let me move it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah, not disposable, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's taking it's a... Uh, how uh, one trash is another person's treasure. <laughs> I know. And my my sister-in-law, she's she taking that, uh, that garage down. It's uh, like 28 by 33, I believe. And, you know, it's just going to take one of their backhoes over there and have one of my nephews destroy it. And she's putting up a, she said, a, a small shed for her stuff. And it's 48 by 64. Going to have a big concrete oh, patio off of it, a bar. <laughs> Just a small shed. <laughs> yeah, it'll probably cost 200 grand, you know. Wow. Yeah. Well, we should have, uh, once we can clear off uh, some of these burners, we're going to put together a, uh, a training course on this topic of declaratory judgment, uh, walk through uh, the creation of a declaratory judgment action, um, you know, give full instructions on, on uh, how it would work, where it would work, why it would work, uh, why it's a good tool to choose uh, in your case, and, uh, you know, how to use it effectively at different points in a case if you need to. Not everybody's able to catch, you know, learning about this right, you know, at the beginning of a case starting. Um, and a lot of folks are neck deep in their case. And, uh, you know, so we're going to give a lot of different options on how it's used and how to create it, where to file it, how to decide which jurisdiction and venue to have it heard in and break it down point by point so that, uh, you know, somebody who picks it up can run with it and, and, and utilize that tool effectively. Was that a good enough commercial, Daniel? Do you think uh, we need more on that? <laughs> no, that's pretty good commercial. Um, 
I'm, I might uh, I might like to add too that I figured that it might have to go right down to basics like how do you draw up an affidavit? What are the elements that would be needed for the complaint? You know, what are the um, what uh, what 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 instance do you want to pray for relief uh, in specified in the judgment? And what places would you want to leave it open? Because you use a jury trial too for finding the facts. By the way, you know you're not these aren't uh, excluded from you. So just detailing all of the different um, elements that I've learned through uh, years of studying this issue. I've actually spent a number of years just studying declaratory judgments um, and pointedly, and uh, also. Um, not that you can't get all these things, but I figure that we would have uh, a library available for people as well, you know, different publications, declaratory judgment with forms and, and different uh, actions, even agency and trust uh, and uh, settlement of debt and the private arrangements, uh, different books that might can be helpful for somebody that's, um, that's going to pursue knowing um, how to, you know, take care of your own matters. That's the thing about a declaratory quiet title, right. And, I, and actually, I've never done a quiet title action myself personally on a, on a house or land. But knowing what I know about declaratory judgment, it would, it would seem to be that I could probably just brush up on certain elements and just move right into it. I don't know that for a fact. And if somebody knows better, they can tell me, and I'll be happy to step down and, and, and recant what I said. But it seems to be that the elements of declaratory judgment would help one uh, in, a, in a quiet title action. But I do sit, put it out there with humility, uh, having never done a quiet title action per se. Well, um, we're going to also use it to uh, quiet the title between the legal person, the legal fiction, and the man or woman, and have that legal relationship declared and expressed. I know people that have tried many different realms of that with a declaratory judgment in the study group that I was studying with. The problem that I found is that most people did not want to take the time to dot their I's and cross the T's on some of the simpler things that could, uh, in other words, if, if somebody could just swat the fly and get rid of you um, uh, from some stupid rule because you don't know what you're doing, that's a lot easier for some judge than to grant a decree that could open a uh, you know a big old hole in the fence and the sheep will go um, uh, you know fleeing out of. I just throw that out there for yeah. your consideration because that's what I've seen happen. People come in there with uh, with no knowledge, just have the zeal. Uh, I'm going to put a declaratory judgment out, and when you look at it, like I have this one case, I'm thinking of one of party in particular. And I read his, um, his cover page, and although I know what he was trying to do, he literally was suing himself. Not, oh, like, the not like the Bagley versus Bagley case, which is the case where the woman who was the executor of her husband's estate sued the driver, which she was, of the automobile for negligence. This is a real case, and she prevailed, by the way. Just so you can wrap your head around it to show you, um, it does actually expand the mind. Barbara, Barbara Bagley sued Barbara Bagley, the driver of the automobile, 
and she was the executive of her husband's estate. She sued the driver of the automobile herself because if she could prove negligence, then she could uh, then the, the insurance would kick in and cover the bills that were looming against his estate. All the attorneys had a field day. Said you can't sue yourself. Well, but she had done it right, and the Supreme Court upheld it. You can read that case. Go look it up yourself, and you can find it. But they had a field day with her on the news, making fun of it. But um, as that, as all those cases, they do that so they can sway public opinion, and nobody's going to do the diligence and follow through. It's like the many cases the Southern Poverty Law Center used to to slam the people that are standing up for certain freedoms and liberties, and then comes to find out that they prevailed when they went to the appellate court, but the Southern Poverty Law Center failed to announce it. Imagine that. The same kind of thing with the Barbara Bagley case. She did prevail, although made a mo- made, no, they made a mockery of it. But the case I'm referring to, when you read it, the guy was literally suing himself. He didn't differentiate the man from the office, like you're talking about. So I think that a good knowledge that you are not that person is very relevant and for you to be able to uh, separate the man from the legal fiction in your paperwork, in your pleading, you have to have a good knowledge of who you are so that you can make a case like that. I have yet to see one go through like that, but we may see one very soon. What do you think, David? Yes, I absolutely think so, for sure. And then that's something that some, some of us are working on right now, just so the, um, I'm not announcing anything, and neither is David, but we're talking about um, for, um, you know, there's a high-end declaratory judgment to end all declaratory judgments. <laughs> right. Anyway. Something that's going to cover the issues that we all deal with. I got this out of Blackstone's commentaries. It's called Seven Species of Trial. And there are seven trials you can have. Trial by record, trial by examination, trial by witness, and I've put these in a secret comment, not open, and parentheses special, and general, which is legal fiction, trial by certification, trial by wager of battle, trial by wager of law, trial by jury. And this goes from exceptional down to minimal, the trial by jury. And if one does a trial by jury, prior six trials are waived. So when I go in with an abatement into this um, uh, record, uh, court of record, uh, this, <laughs> they, can, they can play by both. Um, I take care of the trial by record and trial by examination and trial by witness in a secret, comma, not open venue. I don't even touch the legal fiction, the general venue which is the trial by certification, trial by wager of battle, trial by wager of law, and trial by jury anymore. Did anybody hear that? Is that, is that due to the abatement? Um, I, I do a non-statutory, non-contingent abatement, although I title it just a lowercase abatement all lowercase abatement. 
Okay, it's not it's not put into the general the legal fiction at all. Right. It's right. It's it's put in. Um, yeah, it's put into the general the the clerk and um, um, presiding judiciary and um, the county attorney. It's more or less before. Yes, absolutely private. It's not taken from the from the general legal fiction uh, through trial by certification, trial by wager of battle, trial by wager of law, trial by jury. It, it doesn't even touch that. Trial by wager of battle would be. Uh, Flicking matches at each other's legal fiction. See, see what goes up quicker. <laughs> yeah, but it definitely precludes all the attorneys, and it just baffled the attorneys of the three cases that I was dealing with, all at different times, and I just went in by abatement. Non-statutory, non-contentious. That just means it was secret, comma, not open. They had to correct right. their record. There was no joint. And they had. Yes. Yes. So I got this out of Blackstone's commentaries. That's the seven species of trial. And I've kept it for several years now, before I even went to um, um, doing things um, via the kingdom of heaven. That's why I asked if um, um, that um, declaratory judgment would work in this case. Absolutely. Well, declaring your rights as a citizen of heaven versus yes. a 14th citizen or other yep. type of citizenship. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And never, absolutely. Even have to, never even have to go into a case. No, this, this declares your rights. It would, it would have your rights declared as a citizen of heaven and that, yes. your, and that your laws pertain to you. Not their laws, yes. and that yes. could all be brought up. Declaratory judgment action, absolutely. And I wonder if putting in a non-statutory, non-contentious abatement, all lowercase, <laughs> into each county that you have a habitation in, and a declaratory judgment, if that wouldn't subvert all their cases. Well, the declaratory of judgment alone, see, the abatement, you wouldn't even need to file next time. You just show uh, exculpatory evidence. Yes, and then they would be um, culpable for making any, any yes. actions yep. illegal. Right. If they, if they try to come with Excuse me. If they try to... <laughs> Sorry, guys. It is so smoky around me. 
um, if they try to bring statutes and codes and, and apply them to you after you've gotten this declaration of status as your citizenship is in heaven, <coughs> excuse me, that becomes exculpatory evidence. In other words, yeah. it's evidence that, that, you know, you win right at the beginning. Yep. So it's a, yep. it's a, you can't possibly be guilty because you're not home to those statutes and codes. Yes. So, yeah, declaratory judgment would, would absolutely provide you with the, with the ammunition to go into any court case thereafter, uh, especially if you had that jurisdictional question answered or decreed. Um, you, you bring that in anytime they're trying to use statutes and codes against you, uh, it becomes inequitable. Yep. Because those laws right do not pertain to you. Yeah. Right from the beginning. Yep. Yep. So that's that's a very powerful use of the tool, and that's one of the, that's where Daniel was talking about doing a declaratory action to end all declaratory actions. Um, we're working on something that. Uh, you know, is going to deal with just about every issue we all deal with. And they all do come down to the state trying to play God over us. They're getting in the middle of every every relationship that we have. Yeah. They are always a third party to every contract out there. And they have no right to do so. You just have to have your rights declared. So this is a great tool for that. Any other questions, comments? Anything anybody would like to ask? We have about oh, 40 minutes left. Plenty of time to cover a couple more topics. Yes, uh, certainly you have another uh, question. Yes. Who is this? Uh, Alfred. <clears throat> hey, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, thank you all for giving us this time and your expertise and making yourselves available. I really do appreciate it. Um, my question is on an, a, a good approach for a situation where you have a traveler who is ticketed for driving without a license. Ah, my favorite. One of the one of the trifecta. No license, no insurance, no registration. <laughs> what would you like to know? Um, generally, how you would approach that as far as, I know there's no contract in place, so, but how would you get, how would you present that to the court or the clerk of court in order to have that abated or dismissed? Well, I would use a declaratory judgment in retaliation and have your rights declared. Are you operating under privilege or are you operating under a right? Right? If you didn't have a license, okay, you're obviously, weren't operating under a privilege. You're operating under a right. Well, by putting in a declaratory judgment action, you're able to, have your rights declared and ask the questions. 
was I driving in commerce? You know, or you mm. can, you know, you could swear I was not driving in commerce. Do you have any uh, reason to believe or any evidence uh, to prove that I was operating in commerce? If I was not operating in commerce, am I still held to the statutory rules? If I don't have uh, a license, am I still operating, uh, you know, if I don't have that contract, is there a rule between us? Because I don't. Mm -hmm. Personally, I don't have a license. haven't since 2008. So if I don't have a license, then, then uh, and I've never applied for a license in this state, how can I possibly be under a, uh, you know, under a, uh, uh, a privilege and not, pro you know, utilizing my property as a property right? See, I go in mm -hmm. there, my property trust, I'm the trustee. I can show my rights and, and my capacity and my status, but if I got a pulled over and got a ticket for not having their permission to do it, I would go in and use a, sta uh, a declaratory judgment action to have my rights recognized as the trustee of a private trust that holds legal title to the property that I was driving in. Mm -hmm. Now I have trustee subject matter jurisdiction in the case. I'm the only administrator. Them trying to come in and utilize their statutes uh, to affect my interests, of which they don't have an interest in, is tantamount to fraud. Yeah. Okay. But I, mm -hmm. you can use in your situation a declaratory judgment. Uh, Daniel, would you like to add to this one? Because I think yeah, this like one's that. very common. Yeah, like this is very common. I'd like to ask a few questions. Where are you in the process? Did you just get the ticket, or are you downstream in court? Uh, the ticket was just written a couple of weeks ago, actually. And and uh, and you don't have a driver's license, or you just not provide one? Uh, well, the individual that received the ticket does not have a driver's license, no. And did he not have one because he um, had one taken away, or he's chosen to um, walk a different life? Chosen not to have one, correct? Okay. And so, did he did he um, did he have a uh, anything in the alternative to, that he gave for his um, his uh, tra his traveling uh, on the uh, you know did he tell did he give a, a judicial notice of private trust like David talks about, or did he anything did he give to the positive? That's on the story. Uh, uh, no. Uh, no, not that I'm aware of. Okay, so he just got he just got a ticket for a typical ticket. Well, there's um, I have uh, I have a lot of respect for. Well, first of all, let me say I have a lot of respect for what Linda said because I've done them, the non-statutory abatement and mm -hmm. non-contention abatement. I have a lot of respect for that, and uh, and you know, and I'm, in, in in all fairness. I've noticed that you've got prosecuting attorneys that respond favorably, and you've got those that should but don't. So for those that, that should that don't, I like the, uh, the fallback on our uh, brother John from Texas, who's laid it out in very clear detail that their statute requires the element of commerce to engage the statutory no driver's license, the driver, the... the um, uh, what do you call it, the transportation code to begin with. And uh, I've known that 
if if somebody does not stay on the course, if they stay the course, I have seen it prevail and I've seen it work. I know that you can't enter into this and get your first opposition and say, it doesn't work. Because guess what? It doesn't work. You know, people ask me all the time, does that really work? And I say, nope, doesn't. What, what, what do you mean? You just said it was a good thing. I, it is a good thing. But you asked me, does it work? I said, no, it doesn't work. You work it. Plain and simple. Yeah. It doesn't do anything. Without you, it's not going to be effective. And, and if you right. leave the battle, you leave the battlefield first is going to be the one that loses if you want to talk about a battle. Like I said, yeah. there's, there's, two, there's two things we spoke about tonight. We had the, the Linda's non-statutory abatement. We talked about a declaratory judgment. Now we're talking about a commercial charge. So you have an agent that has is on the road with a duty to, uh, it's a prevailing, com- you know, a commerce, the commerce clause um, action. In, in other words, that the state is uh, exercising the right to restrict commerce in the interest of preserving the people's highways, it, it taxes and, and controls and regulates commerce on the highways and, you know, to benefit the people, quote-unquote, you know. So the element of commerce is almost never, I'm going to say, I want to say never, but I'm going to say almost never in case someone can prove me wrong. It's never demonstrated, almost never demonstrated in these tickets. And that is the element that gives the state jurisdiction to hear that claim. Mm-hmm. Now, if you know this, like I know this, and if you read this, like I've read this, and if you, you know, if you, if you have it succinctly in your mind and your heart, you wouldn't be hoodwinked into accepting anything. You would take it as far as you would take it for the matter of the principle, because once you do, you're, you're no longer going to be low-hanging fruit. And you might even turn around and have to uh, hold them to task for, um, for false arrest, false imprisonment, if there's any time and uh, what have you. And I've known people that have done that, and they won't, like John, for example, the guy I learned from this from, they won't even uh, they won't even talk to him. They won't they won't stop him. They they oh oh have a nice day. He 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 carries a state ID with him. And I ask you know he just he just tells a story. He was stopped uh, at a gas station. A, a sheriff's deputy said, "Hey, you realize your registration is five years out of due out of date?" He goes, "Oh yeah." He goes, "Here, just run this and save yourself some trouble." And hand him a state ID. Well, that cop went back to his car, came back, handed back John's state ID, and said, "Have a nice day." Now, that's a man that's actually paved the way for them to know that he is not low-hanging fruit. I will guarantee you that if it's just this guy's first battle, they're not going to look at him that way. They're going to say, oh, he got some paperwork off the Internet. He don't know squat, which is probably what he did. You know, he got some paperwork off the the, the Internet. And, uh, but even that being said, even that being said, the, the late uh, ticket slayer, this is the guy that he's no longer with us. He, he went on to the other worlds, but he had a uh, ticketslater.com. 75% of the people that he uh, was his clients, he had over 75% success rate. And by the way, Linda, he was doing a non-statutory abatement. That's how he, that's how he, he helped these people, just for whatever it's worth. And uh, 75% of his cases were dismissed, and someone had never fought a ticket ever before. They didn't mm-hmm. use these arguments. They used a, an, an abatement approach with a notice and a second notice and then a default notice. But anyway, right. um, 
and I agree with the abatement. I think that the the uh, non-statutory abatement would be great to get rid of the charge. But I think utilizing what John uses as his argument in a declaratory judgment action would put an end to it for any future issues. When you mm -hmm. get pulled over and it's already declared, then you can show the officer your judgment. And yeah. next time they'll say, have a nice day. You know? So, again, yeah. it's a different tool. It's a different type of tool. And like Daniel said earlier, side by side, it would work just fine. You can use the abatement to get rid of those charges and the declaratory judgment action. Uh, you know how they say, uh, you know, don't let a good crisis go to, go to waste? You know how the government <laughs> right. says that? Yeah. Well, don't let a good cause of action go to waste. If you can have your rights declared, have them declared. Absolutely. Absolutely. It makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'd like to comment something else on that, David, if I could. Please. Thank you. One of the things I've noticed um, through the years is that we get all wrapped up in um, uh, they can't do that. I used to say that all the time when years ago. They can't do that. They're, they're not allowed to do that. They can't do that. Well, I found out that they can't do that, but they will. <clears throat> and and the bottom line is if they can't do that, but they will, and they consistently can't do that, but they will, uh, for years and years it becomes like one, the one judge that answered a friend of mine when he was talking about how the Texas Rules of Civil Procedure said, well, all civil procedure in the state of Texas citations and documents shall be styled the state of Texas, upper and lower case, styled. That's how it said it, right there, right in the Texas Rules of Civil Procedure. So he brought that in front of the judge and said, judge, this is what it says in Texas Rules of Civil Procedure, and yet you guys are styling everything in all capital letters. How come? <laughs> judge goes, I don't know. It's just the way we've always done it. And he walked away. Now, that being said, you've got the problem of ignorance and, uh, and, uh, and custom that take the precedent. Right. And my, my statement is I'm always what takes the boot off of people's neck. What takes and gives them liberty? What's the fastest way to get relief? That's why I'm personally fond of, of listening to John because, you know, you could spend, you might spend, depending on the prosecuting attorney, you might spend, uh, um, you know, a year's worth of time and, and fighting doing, you know, one process, and you might turn around and do another, and, uh, and that was the fastest way to get to your relief. But if you, were, um, if you were religiously opposed to the second process for whatever reason, you would be foreclosed from that remedy, and you'd have to fight it out with the process for a year when it was as simple as, like, for example, John's case, saying, hey, there's no commercial element. You guys don't have any commerce claim. There is no driving um, uh, uh, charge that can withstand this without that element. Go away. And he gets his cases to go away. Now, I've seen it work. It's fast. But it's not what a lot of people would do. Why? Well, you're back into giving some credit to their mumbo-jumbo. I, I don't know if you caught my, my nuance there. Yes, absolutely. Like give, some people don't like to give credit to their mumbo-jumbo. They like to say, I want to just be all in or all out. And that's all good and fine. My point is, 
is I do have a pastor's heart for those in the middle that, you know, that they're in the middle of the trouble right now, and, if, you know, if they don't, if they lose their driver's license, then they can't pay their rent, and they can't feed their kid, and blah, 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 whatever the case might be, and, and, and you know, the rest of us are saying, hey, drive out a driver's license, you, he's in you. I'm like, well, you know, there's, there's somewhere in the middle there where there's some grace that's sufficient for all of us, and I'd like to have that middle of the road. So I embrace John's um, process, too. And, the, you know, no commerce, no techie. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you very much. If, if I could make a comment that made me think of uh, with the, the right to travel thing, um, I don't know how many of you out there knew who Jackie Fig was. Um, you know, she was basically like all of us, but she was, uh, she, she had, yeah, she, she, her and three others died in a plane crash. So, you know, just anybody that would, uh, pray for them and their families, it'd be, you know, I would personally appreciate it. She was a good woman. I spoke with her uh, multiple times on the phone and, uh, was on a bunch of her calls and she, she was a warrior. Where was she out of, uh, Chad? I believe it was Sacramento, California. Maybe Sacramento. No. It was California. The Nuevo, Southern California. I'm very, I was very good friends with her. This is Jeremy, okay. by the way. Yeah. Hey, Jeremy. I, I think in what I read it said Sacramento, but I, I don't know that. So no, but what they were doing is they were flying up to Humboldt. I'm sorry. What happened? I, I was wondering if there was any any talk of foul play on that uh, crash. Uh, not that I'm aware of at this point, um, but I knew three of the players, <laughs> players, but three three of the people. I knew the pilot. Uh, he was another guy who was part of our group um, down here, Steve Sands, and then with her her common law husband, and the other guy. Uh, I think it was Henry. Punts or puns or something like that, which I've only heard of. I haven't actually met him, but they're going up there looking for property because they're looking to find a uh, proper property to um, uh, basically to take over the county and to extra, you know, I don't know, a whole bunch of things. Anyway, um, that was their purpose for actually doing it. They're flying up there. They're from Southern California, but the plane crashed up in Northern California and. Uh, it was it's it's a terrible loss. Unfortunately, the most worst part of the loss is the fact is they were not saved. Um, they did not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and that is the most terrible loss. and And that is my biggest regret of not being a better influence in talking to them and, and that thing. Which they they knew who Christ is. They know they know Christianity, and they they chose otherwise. But they were otherwise really good people. Um, they did a lot to help others, and they did so so much stuff for free. Uh, they did charge for some of the services and stuff, but put food on the table. But they're really out there warriors trying to help people, and um, it was a terrible loss. That's all I have to say. Yeah. I'm sorry Thanks, for your man. loss. It's a loss to all of us because uh, anytime we lose anybody who's, who's 
fighting for our freedom, it's uh, it's a definite loss. Uh, I've heard good things about Jackie. Definitely a shame. Is she doing something with COVID and businesses in California? She uh, started a foundation of 501c3 called the Foundation for Better Living. And so she was helping people uh, with that and providing community care and stuff like that. It was obviously completely separate, which was, it was a shocker to all of us. Like, what? You're doing a 501c3? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she, was, she did actually have that. And there's, there's, it was a tool um, that she used to, was trying to do is to access a lot of public money because there's a lot of public money that's out there. Just, hey, you're 501c3 and you have a cause on that, come pick up some money. So she never really got any money from it, but she did get, some things moving in that ground. So there there was some accomplishment there. So um in fact it was her um as I was working with her I created a little doodly thing online for literally using doodly uh, on YouTube. Um if you can see that my my kids did the voiceovers on that and we just did a quick doodly thing for her to start something but we didn't ever really took it much further than that. Actually I was working on doing a lot more than that with the graphics and stuff. But um, obviously things went for to a different direction. Um, one of the things that she was very successful at doing, her and Ken, was establishing bank accounts. And I got to look over my non-disclosure agreement um, with that now so I to look it over and maybe I can uh, now, if they're gone, that I can actually, um, you know, help help people with that now. So that's another thing. Bank accounts is a huge accomplishment that they're able to make. To get in there, don't need any government entities. Um, they basically work use it on an IDP and a world passport and um, enable to establish uh, bank accounts, which was a cool thing. Yeah, that's very so. cool. Well, if you figure out that you can, please bring that back on the call and uh, I'm sure that my listeners would definitely be interested in hearing more about that. Yeah, I um, I might have to actually talk with her family. Um, I didn't. I don't know if, if Ken actually had any children, but Jackie did. She had two daughters and a son, and they're all grown. Um, so I need to find out basically if if they are who became the heirs of the throne type of thing, and uh, first taking sure. that over. And I don't want to step on anybody's toes in doing that. So I have to just confer with them and that's, I actually coincidentally, I do not have the contact. Yeah, it's going to take some time for them to sort out things. Right on. Well, we're getting close guys, but we got about 20 minutes left. If there's any other uh, topics you'd like to discuss before we wrap it up, now would be a good time to do it. Well, we got silence. Daniel, you want to do a little commercial for uh, the the uh, conference in September? We've got a couple more weeks to uh, see if we can reach the uh, desired attendance. That makes it sure, I'd be happy to. Worth. I'd be happy to, David. Yeah. Um, let me Thank comment you. on 
Let me comment on the Jackie Fig um, situation and then move right over into that if that's okay. I got the uh, sure. news. Uh, I got the news pretty quickly because somebody up here is um, uh, very close to that group, which I had um, had participated in a few and, and seen on Jackie on with Jerry Bay and some of the other stuff she put out there. And yes, she was um, doing what we do, standing for people's liberties. And so it's a tremendous loss, and I share um, everybody's grief in that. I also want to keep it into your awareness that uh, it's a very good idea not to enter a small plane that exceeds the weight limits. And, and uh, there's a few things I heard about taking off, uh, you know, against the wind and things of that nature. The same way Keith Green, the evangelist Keith Green, passed with four people in a small plane, same scenario. So keeping that in mind for your own well-being and safety and the, the tragedy that affect your family if you're not wise putting yourself into a small airplane that's over overweight. So um, moving on to the commercial. Okay, so picture yourself in Kalispell, Montana, uh, keeping yourself um, safe from bears and, and uh, cougars and mountain lions. You have a wonderful resort there in Kalispell that we're thinking about uh, doing a, uh, a three-day uh, seminar at with a vacation time included in there for your family and loved ones. And it's about uh, our trust, private trust arrangements. And the idea is you're going to get, some, you're not going to get everything you need in three days, but you'll have a <coughs> visit with, uh, with David and myself and other people that are moving in the private and discovering tools to be able to move in the private with your private trusts. Trusts are a tool. They're a person that is not beholden to any other but you as the, if you're the one that established the trust, you have subject matter jurisdiction over that trust. They don't belong to the state. They don't belong to the United States. They don't belong to China, Japan, or the moon or, the, or Mars. They're, uh, they belong to, uh, if in this case, an ecclesiastical, class, ecclesiastical trust. They belong to God. And you're, so this particular event is going to happen in September. If we, um, if we feel that we can accommodate the event with the amount of people we have, we have a, you know, a handful plus of people now. You know, I'm, I, I'm not exactly where the figures are, but we figured we were shooting for a, um, the uh, a minimum audience side of, of 30 people to make it happen. So if you are interested in putting your affairs in the private and learning how to live in the private, then please uh, look at bulletproofsolution.org. Go there and peruse the page that's been created for this event. Sign up to get some more information and uh, determine the idea is you're going to get a private trust and or a trust estate package depending on what your needs are and then you you're going to have a year's worth of training uh, and ability to uh, consultation access to the web page and all the tools there and uh, learn and, and have the learning experience of three solid days of training doing something that you've not done yet and that's walk in the private in, with your affairs in trust with your creator so please join us in Kalispell. Once again, bulletproofsolutions.org, where you can look at the commercial for this wonderful event that we're attend planning to attempt to put on in September. It's all in your hands, though. Where the people's needs are, then we uh, the situation will open up. And there you have it. Yes. 
And uh, in Montana, we have a very short window before winter. So if we cannot get it set up, you know, we don't have, know by the end of this month whether or not we're going to meet the uh, the um, attendee target that we uh, that we need to hit. We may end up moving it to the spring. And anybody that's interested in, you know, that 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 showed an interest, we can get their trust started in a, uh, ahead of time, and you can join us in the spring as part of that. Uh, package for doing your estate between now and uh, the spring if we do have to move it. Otherwise, everything will be done at the uh, conference. You'll get your trust information at the conference. So thank you, Daniel. And yeah, thank you, everybody. Uh, I got another sure. commercial, Dave. Well, I'm, I'm okay. just saying, you mentioned, you mentioned tonight, and we've been talking about this, you know, we're, our, our schedules are, are so limited. David and I do the same thing, and uh, as maybe a few of you on this call do, I don't know who you all are, but, um, you know, we have, it would be so nice if we had half a dozen people that knew how, that can write a declaratory judgment to help people up and knew how to put this together. So, you know, or, or a dozen people, or, or, you know, the sky's the limit. The point is, is that we've, we've talked about doing a very specific training seminar to train um, people so that they can become mentors themselves so they can train people. So if that's of an interest to you, if you want to be involved in a learning seminar, in a material seminar to learn about declaratory judgments or a webinar, we haven't decided how we're going to do it, please get your name on the list and contact David at a free man in Babylon at gmail.com. Please contact David, the host of this How to Live in How to Win in Court Without a Liar, and let him know. If you came on this call and this is your first time, and you've been interested in this, and you definitely have uh, and we piqued your interest about declaratory judgments, then you're the party that we're looking for. Contact a free man in Babylon at gmail.com, or go to bulletproofsolutions.org and get in contact with us and let us know that this is something that is up your alley. I would like to have a team of people that we, if you're in Wisconsin, if you're in Nebraska, you know, if somebody calls us with a, with a problem from Nebraska, we can tell we got somebody out there. I'd like to know that it's just not me and David. That would be, it would be wonderful to know there's a team of people out there to help others. So there's my second commercial. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Chad. And, and and again, we we are looking forward to being able to to share this information and training um, with as many as we can because uh, we are Daniel and I are getting uh, cases all you know all the time. We're, we've been extremely busy, and um, if we could get help, obviously we could help a lot more people and uh, sharing that as well. You know, and and I don't want to make commercial, David. I don't want to make right. commercial, but but a workman is worthy of his hire. And if you're working for somebody, you have a right to be um, uh, taken care of and 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 kept. Uh, you know, like for example, if you're doing something an attorney would never touch, and you're helping to restore an estate to somebody who's been blackballed and and has been. Uh, uh, like some of the cases we've been involved in, there's breaches of trust, and nobody wants to engage in it. There's, there, it, you, you can be taken care of as far as 
um, uh, a workman being worthy of his hire. Nobody is uh, suggesting anybody to be a slave when it comes to helping people in their in their traumas. And a lot of our traumas, by the way, are self-inflicted because of stupid things we've done, in our, and we don't want to admit we've made mistakes. And there's this old battle, you know, oh, they never told me. And then there's the other side, well, you should have knew, known. Well, they didn't teach me in school. Well, you should have learned privately. You know, you got that back and forth of it all. But at the end of the day, we do play a part in a lot of our own messes in our sandbox. So um, there, there's a possibility that, uh, that it could be a, a way to, uh, you know, help you put food on your table as well at the end of the day. There's a lot of people in need out there. Anyway. And this declaratory judgment action really, uh, the, the tool works well in almost every situation. Like, you know, almost every job you need, a, you know, a, a screwdriver or, you know, something like that. About a little journey. And the declaratory judgment action is a lot like that in that, uh, Uh, situations, and that's why uh, we feel that teaching how to do this process is going to be beneficial for a lot of people. So, if it is something that you are interested in in learning uh, and finding out more about uh, this opportunity, please reach out to me. The, my email address again is the letter A. F R E E M A N I N B A B Y L O A. Freeman in Babylon at gmail.com. Thank you again, Daniel. <laughs> We've got about uh, 10 minutes left. If there's anybody who hasn't uh, had an opportunity to speak, uh, that would like to or has a question that they're dying to get in there, uh, please bring it up now and uh, or we will wrap it up and see you guys next week. God willing. Anybody? I have a question. Sure. Who's this? It's Jessica. How are you, Dave? Good, Jessica. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, my question is on a bench warrant um, for a failure to appear because I didn't claim the straw man's name um, in a court case. What can be done about that? Hmm. Daniel, would you like to... Show how that would work with a declaratory judgment action. Yeah, you'd have to um, start back from the beginning. But you got you got a case, and if you failed to appear in a, in a case, what you've got is you've got the court um, operating in a you know they're claiming contempt. That's what a FTA is. The court then becomes the party. So you would have to start from the very beginning with who you are and what your, what your relationship is to the, the charging instrument, the tickets, and what have you. Or you can repair the breach by walking in there and bringing the birth certificate with you like David talks about 
and uh, I've personally not done that one. And thankfully, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm not in the court all the time to to be able to try this one out. But I guess there's some of you that might be there. Um, but uh, he brings you can tell that story, David. I don't want to steal your thunder there. Um, but to separate the uh, straw man from the the living soul, something you did in the court gave the judge the uh, opinion that he was going to get you to commit uh, create a joinder by putting a warrant out for you. No skin off of his back. He'll just wait to have you picked up sometime down the road, and uh, and and then they would somebody would have to know know who you are, et cetera, like that, and come after you. Um, Anyway, that David, why don't you tell your, your story? Well, you could go in with the with the birth certificate and and hand the birth certificate in to the judge, which would be turning over the defendant into the custody of the court. Um, that is one way. You could do a non-statutory abatement, like what Linda was talking about, where you are saying that there's a defect that the legal person is not you, um, but you've already put in uh, the memorandum and the notice and, and the jurisdictional inquiry um, yes. and kept that out, correct? Yeah, um, those were all mailed last week. Um, they all got received. Um, so um, the next court date is on Thursday. Thursday. Wow, that's quick. Well, is that in the last, uh, uh, court? Or which court is that in? The it was the the regular court that I first started going to. The failure to appear was at the um, the mental health court. Well, failure to appear is interesting because it's voluntary based on their rules. That court to begin with. Um, when I asked. And when I asked everybody, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say that uh, putting together a declaratory judgment to have your rights declared would be a good idea in this case. You tried to fire the attorney who was working against you. You've tried to... Uh, well, you haven't had a response to your latest stuff yet, right? No, I haven't had any response at all. So I guess I'm just kind of uh, waiting on that, but I'm attempting to be proactive. Um, and I started looking over the, uh, the, the, the declaratory judgment um, outline that you sent me, um, but there's still some – I still need to understand it a little bit more. Okay. Yeah, that is something, something that, that, yeah, please. Okay. Um, have you looked into their bond, this judge's bond? Does he have a bond on file? Have you looked into that? I have not. Okay. So here's, here's an option for you. There's two things, there's two parts to this. Number one, he has to have a bond according to, what state are you in? California. Okay, so this makes it a lot easier. Um, according to the, sale, uh, the, the code, and uh, I, I'm actually in front of the grill here, so I can't actually look it up. It's like 26,900, something like that. 
uh, is the code that says what they do with a warrant is uh, it's government code like 26900, 950. Uh, uh, it's not top head. Anyway, it says that what they do with the warrant is they turn it into the county um, auditor, and the auditor turns it into the treasurer, and the treasurer pays out on that warrant. What? Warrants are checked. You've got to look up this code about warrants and see what they're supposed to be doing with warrants. If anybody comes to you with a warrant, they're coming to you with a check. Now, who's going to pay for this check? Well, they're going to turn it in. They're going to get paid out on it. They do the same thing with tickets, by the way. All tickets are warrants. So um, they're going to get paid on this cash out, cha-ching, 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 but they want to claim your body to it. They're going to get double paid, triple paid, quadruple paid on it because the court is a bank. And they're going to turn all the paperwork that you turn in. It's going to become commercial paper. And they're going to be doing all this sort of fun stuff. Now, if you want to do business with you or if they want to do business with you, the first thing you need to do is get their bond information. And you should go and find it yourself, but then you go and you ask them for it because they are required to give you their bond if you so desire. All you have to say is, I desire your bond. And what they're going to tell you, and I have experience with California judges before, it's like, well, I don't have to. I don't require it. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Put it on for the record. Let the record show that the magistrate judge, commissioner, whatever you want to call him, uh, did not present his bond when I desired it. I requested it. It was my desire. It wasn't there. He didn't give it. So then you say, oh, by the way, I actually have a copy of it right here. Here's the name of the company that your bond is with. And uh, I'm going to go put my claim in. And then that's just like an insurance claim. If you get injured on the side of the road with somebody's car accident, whatever like that, who do you go to? You go to the courts to contact the insurance? No, you go directly to the insurance company. And you say, I've got a claim. This judge is violating my rights, and I want to make a claim. And you're going to watch this judge spin tail. And if there's any violations of your rights, what are your rights worth? You put a claim in. You look into it. It's up to like $5 million. You just put it under it, you know. Four million nine hundred thousand, and then you're going to have a checkman come and come and offer you, uh, say, hey, we're going to erase all this. You're going to drop the claim, and but we're just going to pay you off something that's under the claim. Look into the bond, and this is here, and this is how you do it. It's really just simple as that. People, you know, they you've heard like, oh, go to ask for the bond, but then you don't know what to do after. Well, it's like insurance company. It's an it's insurance claim. You contact them now. They don't want to pay out, but they have to. If there's a claim. You have to put an affidavit together of what it was, what your claim is, and you know all about affidavits. David and Daniel have been talking about that for a long time. And you make sure you talk to the right people in the claim department. You're making a claim on the bond. Find the right, right uh, people for that company and to make a claim. I just want to make a claim. And uh, you're going to see a whole lot of things change in this case. This is where they violated your rights. They violated rights. Now they have a claim on their bond, and they're going to come back and uh, negotiate with you. If they really think that you know how to, number one, they're not going to give you their bond information because they don't want you going to make a claim. They know they're making so many violations that everybody has a right against them according to their bond. And this, this is how you make a judge get on his knees and beg, go for the bond, and if he doesn't, if he continues, if they come and they violate, if they make you claim on a warrant, well, you know that uh, they can't take your body for payment. But in their own code, tells them how they're supposed to get paid on a warrant. So I would follow that route, personally. Who am I speaking with? 
I go by Jeremy. I'm in Southern Hi, California. Jeremy. Hello. Where in California are you? I'm near Corona. Oh, okay. Um, I'm in the Covina area. My name is Jessica. Okay. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for that. That was very interesting. I've never, uh, I've never heard that before. Uh, not to complicate things, but if 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 you've been uh, any of the perper, have any of the papers been served by the sheriff's department? No. No. Okay. Then never mind. Okay. Um, the only thing that's really complicated about everything is that I personally, like my body has not stepped foot into a courtroom. Um, everything is done through a telephone. Well, then how do they hold you in contempt or, or failure to appear if you were on the phone with them? Because you didn't claim the legal person? Well, because you didn't claim the legal person? In attempting to answer them, the judge cut me off, and basically uh, I was telling him, in the middle of him telling him, I have the birth certificate that has that person's name. Um, he had already said that uh, failure to appear, um, there's a warrant for your arrest, blah, blah, blah. And, and that was that. Well, Who's when you? he says there's a warrant for arrest, yeah, exactly. Who's you? You as the legal person, not you as the woman. Um, and again, this is where that separation utilizing a declaratory judgment for jurisdictional clarification, you can have your kingdom of heaven citizenship recognized in opposition to their kingdom of, of deceit, you know, their, their no. U.S. citizenship or anything else pertaining to that legal person. Now, wasn't that kind of already um, the beginning of that was uh, – established when the jurisdictional inquiry was uh, served to them? Sure was. That was their first request. You can go back and, again, utilizing that same process, you bring in the declaratory judgment action and have your rights declared that were um, acquiesced to by their silence. And now they're going to be forced to either do it or your rights will be declared in the positive for you. Daniel, did you want to add to that? I'd like to say before Daniel jumps in um, that they were also noticed of that uh, through your paperwork. So they have noticed, they've been noticed, which is an important element of it. Absolutely. Okay. You're going in with Queen Higgins. You told them the truth of the matter. You provided them an affidavit to respond to. They haven't. And that puts them in a very bad situation, especially for declaratory judgment. Because they acquiesced and, and, and didn't respond to that jurisdictional inquiry, now that is that inquiry is a uh, declaratory judgment action perfect situation. So when you go and in you and you have a claim a on the bond, and claim on the bond, it, it puts right. them in dishonor also. Hey, yeah. David, it's Matthew. I got a question. Okay. 
So in these circumstances where the courts, um, I mean, courts are always going to be addressing the legal person. Is that a correct uh, assumption that no. whenever they're... So is there a no, point no, in time no, no. when... Well, this is the question. Is there a point in time when the state is trying to interact with a human being and because the legal person would be, let's just call it a transmitting utility that's put in place, that that's a middleman. But it's, there is circumstances where, you know, people infringe upon other entities. And in this, in this situation with the courts, you know, I, I see certain circumstances where the courts go and, uh, you know, assign children, you know, or, or a jurisdiction of children, you know, and crossing certain grounds. But then there's also circumstances where they're seeking, I guess, equity in a legal manner for crimes done and, you know, do punishment per se. So I'm just trying to decipher here the boundary between... Between in, where the in, in where the state's system. not always. Daniel, uh, hold on one second. In their system, all crimes are commercial. Period. Okay, and in, in their legal system, statutory yeah. system, all crimes are commercial. Now you can get statutory equity, which your legal person can uh, achieve, maybe. Okay, if there is such a thing in fiction. Or you can have real equity, where you have fairness, right is right, okay? There's grace, there's forgiveness in equity, okay? You won't get that in the statutes. Okay? So, if you, go into, so if, you go in, if you go into Walmart and break Walmart's rules, then they can seek remedy according to their rules since you're in their territory. So... You know, the state has a territory that sometimes people step into, whether they realize it or not. And, they you know, I just look. You can still seek an equitable remedy based on your rules that, are, that pertain to you. The statutes and codes, if I go in and I, declare, and I have my rights declared that I am not a statutory legal fiction and that I'm a man and a citizen of heaven where my laws come from, from the contract that I'm indentured to, okay? I go into Walmart. I accidentally break something. They try to hold me liable for it. I broke it. I should pay for it. That's equitable, right? So what about if the situation where somebody, what, what about in the situation where somebody breaks something at Walmart and decides they don't want to pay for it and they try to get away from it? I mean, isn't there an aspect of the courts that is used properly? Because I understand how, how, you know, how sinister things are ran, but um, there's, there's this. If you live by the laws of God, you'll live by the laws of men. They'll force you to. However, we have the choice of who we deserve. And, and, and again, Yes, in a situation where somebody who doesn't know anything goes in, breaks something, walks out, doesn't think that they are going to be held accountable, sure, Walmart could try to hold them accountable. They could say it damaged the property or whatever. It was their property, and they have a legitimate claim. 
Well, you know, I, I understand that. I, you know, personally, I think, and I'm just, just it's just a, you know, concept I'm, I'm discerning over time, but um, basically that, you know, there's, there's an equitable system in place, and as much as it gets corrupted, there's still an overseer, which is, you know, Elohim, the, the one supreme almighty, you know, creator. And as much as he allows things to happen through free will, he also sets things up in a way where equity is always, you know, naturally achieved per se. So, um, you know, an eye for an eye is when we, when we act like, well, when, when we act like the beast, you know, then sometimes he pushes us into it. So there's certain circumstances where, you know, this, this, there's still, I guess, I guess it's a heartstring. No, what, what it is, is it's, it's a, it's a heartstring. This is where it's coming from for me is a heartstring. That is when, you know, we're, we're seeking remedy in a commercial system and we're trying to stand behind, you know, higher remedies. I mean, I guess it's individual path for each one. And if somebody gets away with something, you know, the, the creator always, you know, seeks his equity in, in the big picture, but, um, there's a lot of, uh, maybe this will help. Maybe this will help. Yeah. There used to be separate courts for law or statute and equity. Okay. There used to be separate courts for that. There no longer are all those courts that are out there. They deal with both. They deal with the equitable side, the trust law side, the probate side. Okay. And then they then they deal in the fiction side, the bankrupt side, okay? Now, if you're going in there, and this we talked about on Thursday, about there being the law of the sea, right, commerce. Then you have yep. the law of the land, which is where you start to go into trust. And then you've got the law of the air, which is ecclesiastical law. And, and we get to choose where we live, Okay. And, and being a responsible man or a woman, being responsible for our actions and managing our affairs, the whole point of being a good steward of the things that to us and, and being responsible for our because it's equitable, okay? Now, if I did something inequitable, right, I kicked you, okay? I know it was wrong to hurt you. Uh, but I kicked you. Hi. Me and Chris and Kenneth okay. are here. Put pants on. Hi. I mean, uh, Sorry, Hi. guys. Uh, somebody, if you could, uh, if you could um, mute that out. Sorry. Uh, if you know, can I apologize? Okay. I'm sorry if I, you know, if I uh, scuffed your pants or you know, if you know, there's any doctor bills, you know. I want to make it right. Oh, there's no doctor bills. There's no, you know, no cleaning bill for your pants. Tell you what, here's my shin. Give me a kick. Let's make it equitable, right? Eye for an eye. That's the worst part of the law in the world, right? An eye for an eye. I hit you, you hit me. Even. But it's equitable. Well, an eye, for, an eye for an eye isn't isn't that just mean basically like in you know in repentance. You know, you there, there's a that's what repentance is, isn't it? Isn't it making whole? Isn't that what repentance does? It turns away from the initial thing and actually uses the same effort as the initial, um, you know, foul act, but putting effort into the opposite act that's unfoul to neutralize the original action. You know, isn't that 
So repentance is part of equity. You know, in order to achieve equity, repentance is mandatory, and that's why it's required Absolutely. of us. So, well, we can also um, bring in an equitable claim or an equitable uh, remedy. Okay, in a situation where we've actually harmed somebody, the possibility to bring an equitable remedy when it's the state that's claiming the harm. But if I've harmed somebody who is actual man or woman, <coughs> excuse me, or their property, I can suggest a, a private settlement, an equitable settlement to make you whole. I apologize. And I buy you a new mailbox if I ran over your mailbox and I put it back in and I make it look just like it did prior to me uh, harming you. Well, let's analogize okay. that to the court. You know, that's a nice that's private equity, situation. Right? But analogy, yeah, in, in the private realm, but let's, let's analogize that to the court. Let's say I de- defiled, let's say I defiled the state's property. Let's, let's say... Let's say the state is possessed of commerce and their whole realm is based on commerce and, you know, anyone outside of that, whether they know it or not, is supposed to. So when you, you know, damage the state's property, all they care about is commerce. So, you know, at that point, it doesn't really, you're not playing on a, on a you're not talking to, to an entity that is in line with, you know, that private remedy. They're in line with the commercial remedy. So knowing that... You know, there's, it's it's like, if I go to an, well, here, this is what, this is the best way I could say. If you go to an arcade and you, they are, they're all token based. Mm -hmm. So you, whenever you go in there, you turn your, your dollars into tokens and that's your money inside that building. And then you damage something inside the building and you try to give them money and they say, no, we need tokens. So you got to exchange the tokens, your money for tokens to pay the damage. It's the same thing with the courts. They don't, they don't accept real equity. Because their system is is not that. You get what I'm saying? Right. You just, yes, absolutely. Now They want a commercial remedy. They want a commercial remedy, and and nobody's going to go in there and convince them otherwise. All you can do is sever the link to where they say, we can't talk to you anymore. But their remedy is commercial. Matthew. Yeah. The the remedy is called conditional... How would you like me to pay the damages? Am I paying this? Gold, silver? Conditional acceptance. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Now I get you. You see conditional acceptance. I I got you. Conditional acceptance. How how would you like me to pay? I accept your charges. How would you like me to pay for them? Define well, the whole... species of money that you, I mean, again, there are ways to do it. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. That, that, that is clearing, that is clearing up. it. No, that's clearing it up some because, you know, but the conditional acceptance is, you know, that's, that's a commercial, you know, realm of interaction for them. But, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from, and um, I'm just throwing out there in concept is that, you know, when, when, if we, if we claim a, if we claim to be part of a trust and we don't walk in that indenture, then at some point in time, we're bound to fall into another rule set, whether we realize it or not. And the only way that we can get back into our own rule set is by following them. And that's where a lot of this, 
you know, if people aren't, if people aren't in tune, if people don't walk or are not in tune or are seeking to walk like Messiah, then that, that it's always going to be a drunken walk. And there's a certain point where if we don't follow our indenture, it will catch up with us and it will manifest in our real life. So, um, cause you know, it's, we're it's a point of contention. Issues before the non-believer either. But they're believers. That whole system is a believer. That's why they're based off of what they are. They're not non-believers. They're just inverted belief. They they know what they're they know what they're doing. No, no, no. They're not covenant. They're not covenant believers. They they are in covenant in with the statutes, codes, and the constitution that they took an oath to uphold and defend. Okay. On the lower level, they but the higher a, level. On all levels, they're still, they are still indentured to their own set of rules for a United States citizen or a USA citizen or a national, state national, a state citizen or whatever. Okay? Yeah, but then when you get into they, the... No, I understand that, but you get into the whole commercial aspect. We're going into international. We're not just in United States citizenry now. So the system is predicated off of a off of a full blown biblical opposition. So the system is designed in a way where it fully believes in Elohim as much as we do. It just believes that it's on the other side of the book, you know. So there's a lot of consciousness in all of this battle, and um, you know, it it is a battle. I guess it's just. You know, kind of the way it's put in the scriptures is we're, we're on a battlefield. You know, I'll finish. I'll finish this up with with this that when we go in and there is all these things that are up in the air. Okay, much better to have your right status and legal relations declared before you get involved in any type of adversarial action. Okay, before you start fighting and arguing, have your rights declared, have your, have your legal relationships declared, have your capacity declared. Are you operating as a U.S. citizen, as a citizen of heaven, as a driver, as a traveler, as a, you know, as a statutory citizen, or, uh, you know, or, or, are you, do you have the right to uh, associate freely or not associate freely? Of course you do. So why not have your rights established and decreed ahead of time, right at the right at the beginning? Because that right there will will stop so many different actions that become adversarial. Once your rights are declared, who's going to want to fight with you? Who's going to want to try and make a higher claim against you or your property when when your rights are already declared and your property's rights are already declared by a court? in their system, that they can't overrule that judgment. That's where I, I was going with this. No, you that's have any last-minute... Uh... Thanks. Thanks for What's that, Dave, because that wrapped... I said thank you for that because it wrapped it... It really wrapped it back around to the declaratory judgment really nicely because, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about trusteeship and... Um, when the trust is created, you know, what you just described is how the indenture is formed. I mean, that indenture is what's going to stipulate everything. And if it's not done meticulously and properly, then it leaves open ends. And, you know, proper, you know, mentality of a proper trustee 
is to look ahead and cover all the bases. So um, I appreciate that and appreciate all your your comments. In private trust, you're the, you are the one with subject matter jurisdiction. You're the highest administrator over the res, over the corpus, over the assets of the trust. So anybody in a courtroom thinking that they have a higher authority, declaratory judgment is a beautiful tool to shut that down and, and uh, you know, expose that there be an administrator day some order or a trustee day some sort. Anyway, Daniel, did you have anything to add before I, before I uh, end the call? You still there? He might not be on the call. I know uh, he was picking somebody up at the airport. All right, guys, I appreciate you coming on the call tonight. We're about 20 minutes over, but lots of good information. I thank you all for participating tonight. And, uh, again, if you have any questions or comments or want to find out more about the declaratory judgment class that we're working on, uh, reach out to me at afreemaninbabylon at gmail.com, and I'm happy to talk to you about that as well. Thanks, guys. Any other questions or anything you need before I close this off? Thanks for your input, Dave. You're welcome. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a Thank great you. night. Thank you very